the show, ladies and gentlemen. Looks like uh, we've had sixteen years. First to chat, everybody. I think that might be your first, uh, first, first thing, buddy. Welcome to the show. Uh, let me switch to live chat, ladies and germs, so that we can uh, get the show started. Uh, we're still waiting on Bud Kilowatt. I wonder if he's uh, still waking up or whatever. But uh, our guest is uh, hopefully going to be Bud E. Kilowatt. Uh, if not, I guess maybe we'll just puff tough or something. But uh, hopefully we'll be chatting to Bud Kilowatt here here in a second. Usually he uh, hops on here in a bit. Perhaps he's waiting for the link. Uh, ladies and germs, since, since this is a guest show, even though you might think like, oh, Bud's just one of us. Well, yeah, he's one of us. But uh, he's also the guest of the show. So we do have guest rules today. So don't just randomly hop on here, just all willy-nilly, all nimbly-bimbly. Uh, but ladies and germs, uh, like I say, normally guest, uh, guest rules apply. There's Bud Kilowatt right there. Uh, if you're a regular on the show, basically you're like, oh, what's guest rules? If you're a regular on the show, ladies and germs, you're welcome to hop on here, but you know, be polite about it and stuff. Don't come on here and talk about, I don't know, the farts you had today for lunch. Uh, ask questions, you know, that kind of stuff uh, or sit back and chill. You know what I mean? You're welcome to sit back and chill, listen to the interview on the panel. But obviously if you have uh, questions to contribute for the guests, please do. That's one of the, uh, I think more interesting parts of this show, uh, or I guess the whole Fumador network shows is that we do have some audience and, uh, 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 panel participation basically in all the interviews so you know even though i'm talking to whatever uh north star or something smash can uh, uh chime in or flora can chime in or whatever here's Bud killer right there if you guys are new uh if you guys are new to the panel if you've never been on cheers miss chronic good to see you well miss chronic is a good example you've never been on the show before if you would like to hop on you're more than welcome to hop on just ask politely uh there he is there's the man himself just ask politely i'm sure we'll let you on especially people who ask nicely it's it's really just a, a filter to keep the jerk offs off out you know what i mean so uh, uh you know same rules as always don't be a dick don't show your dick that's obviously easier if you don't have a wiener to show off cheers bud kilowatt good to see you my friend uh, look at that healthy looking mushroom <laughs> that's a yeah, that's what she a, said it's it's actually the latest billy strings t-shirt it's this concert it? shirt like nice. down below it says billy strings but i picked it out because i like it. it's like a mushroom yep yeah good to see you bud by the way, we should actually, uh, I, I feel like you are, uh, ladies and germs, we should uh, introduce each other. Cheers, D. Good to see you, my friend. What's going on, going on, panel? Just a reminder, me and you do this at the top of the show. You have to be 21 and over to be here. If not, you have to leave. That's right. I'm That's smoking right. on the same old, same old wedding cake. Uh, it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm just hanging out the doors. It's really nice to be here today. Got no long sleeves, wearing a t-shirt, which is a surprise. But yeah. Nice. Cheers, Cheers everybody. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, what's the good word for her? Hi, how's it going? Um, uh, this is solstice. Oh, happy solstice. Oh, that's right. That. Yeah. For us farmers, I think a solstice is like one of the bigger days of the year, right? Whether you're something that farmers, people that farm have always paid attention to the most important day. Oh, my internet I can't figure out why this recorder doesn't so work. If I, if I robot, it says my internet connection is unstable. What's new? But if I robot, that's why. Cheers, Laura. Yeah, your internet is a little bit shady. Uh, I'm very frustrated with this freaking recorder. I don't know. It's uh, normally bomb-proof, but uh, I'm having a problem getting any of your guys' audio, basically. So I guess we're just going to not record today. Whatever. I'll record on YouTube. Um, 
Who was going to say, oh, here's Captain 420. Uh, was going to say, oh, we should do the whole safety rules and stuff. Thank you for reminding me, D. Sometimes I forget too. Ladies and germs, uh, most importantly, this uh, show is absolutely, and uh, how do I say this? Uh, there is literally no way for you to get any kind of drugs from this show. Uh, some shows have secret menus and stuff. We've discovered recently, this show has no secret menus. There's no secret, uh, uh, basically there's no secrets. Pretty much what we talk about is what we talk about. There's no hidden text or hidden <laughs> subtext or any fucking garbage. Uh, there's no way, literally, for you to get anything illegal from this show because honestly I, I value this show too much to jeopardize it basically with some other shit so ladies and gentlemen there is absolutely no way for anyone reporting or not reporting this show you cannot get drugs from this show in any way there's no point even re reporting it and if it's being reported please remember there is literally no way to get drugs from this show uh you could dream of it and that would be the one way that you could get it basically you could enter it into an ai prompt and maybe that way you could get drugs from the show but otherwise in the physical fucking real world you're you're, you're a crazy person please stop asking please stop pretending you can't buy you can't beg you can't steal you can't get it from me for free you can't get it bequeathed you can't get any kind of drugs whether they be cannabis whether they be something else whether they be aspirin whether they be recommendations to a freaking uh, uh voodoo faith healer there is no way you will get any kind of medicine from this show, whether it be physical, spiritual, or otherwise. So you will not get any kind of medicine or drugs from this show. Please remember that. Any cannabis content that is discussed in the show is legal under the 2018 Farm Bill. It's been clarified multiple times that both hemp and cannabis, in many cases, are legal to uh, distribute. Of course, uh, in state uh, within states, not internet and not. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Not internationally or between states, but what, what am I trying to say? We are in many cases allowed to grow, smoke, and toke, and basically even give clones to each other. Uh, in many cases, we can, uh, in some cases, we can still sell flour to each other. Not in all states, obviously, but ladies and gentlemen, it's perfectly legal what we're talking about. We're not breaking any rules. We're not breaking any laws. Everything on the show is above board. And please do remember that above all, the free speech uh, amendments of this United States uh, apply. So please, we are allowed to talk talk about the things that we are talking about and it's absurd that we keep get re getting reported for these kinds of things so please do remember that we are within our rights to have this conversation as for again cannabis karens love to report the show for uh other things too so first they started reporting us for challenges and stuff we've never had an extremely dangerous challenge on this fucking show ever but ladies and gentlemen, we don't do extremely dangerous challenges. For example, challenges that pose an imminent risk of physical danger, or physical injury, are, or even danger, are not shown. Dangerous or threatening pranks are also not shown. Pranks that lead victims to fear imminent serious physical danger or that create serious emotional distress in minors. We've never discussed those things. Instructions to kill or harm are never shown. Showing viewers how to perform activities meant to kill or maim others. For example, giving instructions to build a bomb meant to injure or kill others. Hard drug use or its creation is not shown. Content that depicts abuse of or giving instructions on how to create hard drugs such as cocaine or opioids. Hard drugs are defined as drugs that can mostly lead to physical addiction sometimes on this show people will mention stories of their past where they, they interacted with in one way or another drugs of some kind cocaine or opioids or another please do remember that those stories are negative stories no negative portrayals you should never under any circumstances emulate the stories and it's the position of fumidoro and every single motherfucker that shows up on this show that drugs are bad and okay and please do not emulate them in any possible way we are quite serious about that once again, of course, cannabis is legal under the 2018 Farm Bill, and we do not vend any kind of cannabis on this show. You could get cannabis seeds, which are legal because they have no THC in them and are thus legal to distribute, but we do not under any circumstances distribute cannabis on this show. Go fuck yourself. Instructional theft or cheating is not shown, showing viewers how to steal tangible goods or promoting dishonest behavior. By the way, yesterday's show's show was uh, uh, reported during the fucking preamble, so I, I, I vividly await Lars and the other fuckwits uh, uh, 
demonetizations today. But anyway, instructional theft or cheating is not shown. Showing viewers how to steal tangible goods or promoting dishonest behavior would never be shown on the show. Hacking is also not shown. Demonstrating how to use computers or information technology with the intent to steal credentials, compromise personal data, or cause serious harm to others, such as, but not limited to, hacking into social media accounts. And finally, bypassing payment for digital content or services. Showing viewers how to use apps, websites, or other information technology to gain unauthorized access to audio content, audiovisual content, full video games, software, or streaming services that normally require payment is never shown on this show once again uh, for the third time i think i reiterate you cannot get drugs from this fucking show lars duckweed and raptor girl all the rest of you fuck you very much please stop reporting this show please go do something else more productive with your life we'd like to actually enjoy our show we'd like to enjoy this uh, uh, episode and we'd like to do it without some fuckwit basically messing with it so please go move on with your lives but that said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to skip the commercial because honestly, I get so riled up just having to do 10 minutes of freaking uh, disclaimers and stuff when other channels don't have to do that, that I am just not in the mood to sell you seeds. If you'd like to buy some seeds, please do buy them, though. Welcome, Atomic. Good to see you, my friend. He's saying slept in this morning a little bit. Nice to see you. Uh, good to see you, Dankamus Kind. Cheers, Robert Greenfigures. Good to see you, buddy. Zesty Air is in the house, although Zesty, I think, was first in the chat. Cheers, Small Tubes. He's saying, me old bones hurt. That's... Uh, uh, the goddamn truth, isn't it? Uh, what's the word here? Miss Chronic. I think I already said hello to Miss Chronic, but hello again, Miss Chronic. Bip Pip Below, not Bip Jam, Pip Jam. Bip Jam is probably Pip Jam's evil twin. Pip Jam MBF. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, you or your evil twins. Anyway, back to the guest. Uh, Bud Kilowatt, welcome to the show, my friend. You're you're in the shadows there, like a like a dawn. You're basically like Don Corleone. Yeah, you should be I'll probably cat, move basically. over here because when it's sunny out, the contrast is weird if i sit here at night it works but it's too bright behind me i'll come over here there you go. all right cheers buddy the bug yeah. roast begins oh by the way captain 420 we didn't say hello to you what's the what's the word bud yeah not a whole lot it's that dark Morning fucking forest it just blends into the background it's like camouflaged it's perfect yeah. isn't it well <laughs> uh good morning or good afternoon or good evening i don't good know morning. what is it for good you? morning good morning <laughs> it's 220 sparking up we'll call it morning we'll we'll, we'll call it morning here i'm gonna mute you real quick wow. a feedback there it's a uh, 20th doesn't matter what time it is really there it is it absolutely is the 20 cheers my friends welcome uh i guess we killed so much time that it's already the 20 uh cheers folks happy 420 i'm gonna roll something up here too uh bud kilowatt i don't know let's start it off uh, on an easy note honestly when did you get involved in cannabis how long have you been doing it well i mean i grew up with my dad and his all his friends sold weed i think i was probably around 10 or so and i kind of realized my parents were kind of different but I, I really started smoking weed when I was like 13. Actually, I was just thinking about this. Mike McKernan, who was my best friend, who, who his dad also sold weed. And we both started smoking at the same time when we were 13. The first weed we, we smoked, my dad used to have a shoe box that was like under the living room table where you like, sifted out the seeds and he never called them joints. He called them numbers, but he rolled numbers and it was always there. It was just part of life in our house. And Mike somehow had 
found some pipe, like one of those metal pipes that screw together, <laughs> the old school kind, like that big. And we had the pipe and then we didn't know what we were doing, anything. And we took what we thought was weed that was like on the, in the shoe box, but what really was, was just the seeds, right? So the first time, the first time we went outside and snuck on the side yard and smoked this pipe, we're 13, the first bowl, it was just a bowl full of seeds. Cause that's like, we didn't know, we didn't know anything. We were just kids, but there it was, uh, you know, uh, and yeah, we smoked that. Like, and that, like, I guess there wasn't any getting high. I remember maybe a little bit of a headache. What's the chances that everybody's been looking for some, I don't know, probably not skunk one, because I guess they release millions of seeds of it. But I don't know, people's been looking for the original Odre Kush or something. And some little kid smoked a bowl of it, basically, from, you know, their parents' shoebox, basically. I'm just thinking, like, someone was saving these rare seeds, and some kid was like, oh, shit, we're going to smoke the dank. That's pretty amusing. And, and, Did you and, get high? And, and, no, oh no, that wasn't like the high experience. It didn't taste very but good, then, did it? I think within like a not the next day, we were kids. It wasn't like that was our biggest obsession at that moment. Um, the next time, the first time we got, high, he used to have num joints, numbers, and there was ashtrays in the shop, wherever. He also smoked cigarettes. Yeah, and we just took like one of those, a half a joint that was our, you know, an ashtray. And that, that was when we, we smoked that and we definitely got high. Yeah, that was it. That was a couple hits, whatever. No, 13, 13. 13. And then like my parents, yeah, they came out of the my, my They were beatniks that became hippies, right? And yeah, they, their way that they, they approached drugs with me and my brother Cause like at that point it was okay to like, they, like, I wasn't like I had to hide it. Right. And I can remember, well, like really, how do I explain it? They were like, if you're, you're going to do drugs, you might as well here they are. Cause like by the time ooh, we, it was only like on Christmas or new year's. I don't, maybe it was on new year's. I think I like that same year. It's like, like, I snorted coke with my parents. Like they gave me a couple lines, right? Like they were like, they 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 were like drug people that thought, well, no big deal. It was, it's so hard to explain because it's I have no. I, I, I can't remember. Did you say it. that they were beatniks or because they're a little bit? Yeah, I guess beatniks. they were a little bit. Gotcha. They were a little bit before beatniks. hippies, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like they were the beatniks in the fifties, but then they became hippies in the sixties. And I was born in the sixties, early sixties. Yeah, they had like the attitude of like, well, you're going to do it. You might as well just do it at home here. Like, so I guess some of it is at least we know what it is you're getting or having, right? So now the Coke thing, yeah, that, that was like a whole era. And literally, yeah, way before I was 15 years old, right? Like I only went to school in ninth grade and I remember that I had like a vial of Coke that I'd stolen. I used to just steal from him. He, it wasn't like he locked shit up or hid shit. I lived in the house. They, they both had, I was like, they, they worked. They had, my, my dad had a business and my mom had a career. So after school, me and my brother were free to 
be what we were. And yeah, like even at that point, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, well, I had all the friends that were older because I would show up with like film containers. Everything I remember was gray top, black plastic film containers. Cause they were like, <laughs> yeah, 35 mil film containers was like the, the container choice around then. Oh, it was that choice until the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And and I would just like pack. I would go in the closet where you had kilos of fucking different shit. And I just take and pack a film container and then show up at school. And like, I remember certain times that like, oh, he turned out to be like this, my best friend, Todd Smith. He was ended up the star quarterback, got a, a, a full ride. I think he did well at college football. We were best of friends, but like when his parents met my parents or when this, he was like, I remember this, this thing where he was banned. Like, like, oh, we could still see each other at school and all this, but we were like, I was never allowed to go to his house again. He wasn't allowed to go to my house again, right? Right. I can remember other kids, one time my dad and some other dad got into a physical confrontation where basically that dad had come over to confront my dad that like we were smoking pot at his house because we could and we did. And, and like I went from like a kid that had like, I guess a bunch of straight kid friends to like real quick only having like stoner kid friends, right? in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, and all like all we did was smoke weed. There was a bush across from the junior high that was hollowed out on the inside, and we had this weird, nastiest bamboo bomb with a metal down stem. And like we we smoked weed. Stem. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like like it was this thing where we would only go to school, whatever the semesters, and then we'd be off and we'd just leave that nasty ass bomb in that bush. And then months, months later, like we'd changed the water, but I remember it just being nasty, like, yeah. like, but it, it was, we were kids, it didn't matter, it worked. Taking a hit off that shit. I mean, even I back then, like, we didn't really, as kids, oh, uh, you couldn't just, there were head shops. One of the historic ones was called Lion's Lair, fucking right up the street. Forget, you had to show ID, you had to be old enough to go in there. And even then, like I think when I first started, there wasn't any acrylic bongs. Like there, it, it, it was a lot of metal pipes with screens, you know, papers. Like, like even a, a weird thing that I now don't smoke anything but joints. I I have bongs and pipes, but I have never used them in decades. I don't smoke that way. I smoke joints. But as a kid, in my relationship with my dad, that. He was a stoner, and even all the way till he died, you know, I always brought him the best weed I could grow, and this and that, and you know, uh, when when I was younger, I I once I got going, I remember buying the fence, the best bong, this device, this pipe, all of these things, and bringing them and saying, "Yeah, try this, Dad." I remember these bongs, and he'd be like, he'd cough and be like, and he because he, he never called them joints, he called them numbers. And yeah, he's like, oh, I just smoke joints. And back then as a kid, I was like, oh, fuck that joint. One, I couldn't roll them. I didn't know how to roll them or I don't know what the thing was. But then, I don't know, somewhere in my tw later 20s or yeah, I, I, 
I used to, hey, I was into rock and roll and Grateful Dead. My dad, like I say, he was a beatnik. He was into bebop jazz, okay? Bebop jazz, all right? Really good bebop jazz, right? As a kid, I used to think, what? That's the worst music ever. How does he fucking listen to that shit? That's some of the best music to fucking it. Like, as far as improvisational players and stuff. But as I got older, it's weird how when I was younger, I was rebellious against things that was like, like wisdom my dad was trying to lay out on me. I was always like, I guess that's part of being young. Like, like we were into bombs. God forbid we ever smoked out of a joint, right? And back then there were metal bowls that were like party bowls. And even as kids, it was mainly just Mexican weed, Colombian weed. And there were a couple friends I remember that could, you had to take the biggest bong hit you could possibly pack in there and draw it all the way through. Like leaving ash in there and all that. That was like, you know, like it was a certain, yeah, I guess that was the etiquette. And it wasn't like the regular bowl, this, you know, reasonable bong hit snap. No, it was these party bowls we used to put on there. And we just try to put, different kids would try to put more than you could even possibly smoke and pull it off. Like there were a couple of people that just knew how to fucking take deepest fucking ball hits ever. But we were all just kids. Like we had bicycles and shit, but all we did is actually skating too. Cause it was, even though, yeah, I was, I was in Topanga, the Valley side, technically of Mulholland, Topanga Canyon where I grew up we were skaters like in, in early days like um and stoners and you know rebel kids basically we're on a muck in the neighborhood basically like I don't think childhoods are like that anymore like where you just have the freedom like but most every kid and friends of kids my friends all their parents had jobs so like from two o'clock, three o'clock till six, seven, when they got home. Yeah. You were just on your own. Did you uh, uh, grow up always in Orange County? Or? Wait, you dropped down a little. I think he was asking if you grew up in uh, Orange County or, or around. No, there. no, no. San Fernando Valley, Topanga Canyon. No, no. Yeah. Topanga Canyon, which is like, like I we live technically in the valley side. Like if you live the Mulholland runs down the middle. If you're west of the Mulholland, you're because like another thing is yeah. Even when we first got cars, we were valley kids and we'd go down to the beach. I forget what they used to call us. Like that was like the first graffiti shit I ever seen in my life. Because the locals at the beach, those kids, yeah, like. If you thought you were going to go down the beach and surf and, oh, no, you were from the valley. You There was like this weird localism thing, right? And technically, yeah, I'm from the valley. Even though, like, Topanga, you can live on the coastal side. Um, Topanga Canyon goes from the San Fernando Valley to the beach. It's a canyon that takes you to the beach. Yeah. So, like, that's, yeah, and... Yeah, that same age, whenever we could, we'd want to go down the beach. But there, numerous times we got confronted by the kids down there and like fights and, and fucking craziness because it was like a, 
they, there's a term they call this, like, I forget what it is. They probably still use it to this day, but like, yeah, that, you know, hey, knowing a few friends that are immigrant surfing, try to, you know, move to North Shore in Hawaii and all that. Well, you think that localism is bad. Yeah, like somehow around the beach and surf culture, there's a certain weird, like localism. So like, yeah, that, that was like, sort of when we have to get tough and want to fight these guys and stand up for ourselves. But it was always kind of like gang, kid gang shit, but it was all about where you were from when you went down to the beach. Like you couldn't paddle out at Malibu, the main point, if you were from the Valley, dude, you were gonna get fucked up. You had to go to Zuma or the other point. You couldn't surf the main point if you were from the That's valley. messed up. That's some classes shit. Uh, by the way, I'm just going to interrupt everything here. I'm noticing that I have to be careful because this uh, has a little bit of water in the bottom. Uh, this is the cherry pie that Flora sent me. And I don't know what's in here, but there's something very interesting to the road beetles. And they have been fucking pounding it for a couple of days now. And I saw it yesterday. There was just an absolute orgy of road beetles just fucking around here. I don't know if you can. Oh, it's not bright enough here. Hold on. Maybe Probably not. It might be gnats. It might be whatever it is. The the road beetles are just fucking on it. They're just like motherfucker. This is our shit. This is like a buffet for them. And even at this time, if you're familiar at all with the San Fernando Valley, west side of San Fernando Valley, which would include like Canoga Park, Woodland Hills, Chatsworth, that No, but the San Fernando Valley. When I yeah. grew up there, we first moved there. I was uh, like five. We moved from the middle of the valley to the east. They bought their, my, their first house. It was mainly orange groves. Like during that time, all the fields that we used to ride our bikes in and have forts and all this, oh, we, they, it got developed to where today, there's not a square inch of that whole basin has been, you know, uh, you can't that, that's why it. I moved to oh, San Diego. Oh, you can't def- uh, uh, spotlight me, would you? Spotlight D. I don't have that control. So. I don't have. I'm not a moderator. Oh no. Sorry. Oh, you. Spotlight yourself. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just thought it was really funny to to show this. By the way, what's up, Smash? Cheers, buddy. Can I just say, if anyone has a question for Bud Kilowatt, our guest, uh, just tag Fumador. With your question. Okay, you know what? It's actually not that important. We've spent enough time looking at. I'm not. Uh, Take a nice nice picture um, after the show with your camera. That's right, or a little video or something. Yeah, that was really kind of amusing because it was. I was like, fuck, fuck, there's a ton of road beetles on there, and they were just having fun. They were just doing their thing. Yeah, they weren't in distress or anything. They were just probably, probably at a like a microscopic scale. It was probably a total scene of carnage. You know, they were probably like, I don't know, double fisting all the little micro critters, and there was probably all kinds of screaming down there. But who knows? What's that? can't you airdrop it you got an iphone and an i uh macbook can't you just airdrop it and and that's what i do airdrop what the, like, like a picture, picture. oh it, yeah you wouldn't it. see because the uh, robot beetles are just black i i should take a video of it later or something when it's later or just like actually show sure, you use your macro fun. lens yeah, yeah, get in there with your, yeah, yeah. Get right in there <laughs> right in there <laughs> back to you uh, but we were we were discussing uh yeah. gosh, where did i interrupt you but but like like i say my best friend i have my brother who's two years younger than me so like whatever years i started doing stuff 
he was two years younger doing the same shit. Right. Right. And Mike McKernan, who lived like 10 houses down, his younger brother was same age as my brother. They were best friends. Mike and me were best friends. But we were like mainly. And their stepdad, Marty, was like a top Porsche salesman, you know, new car place. And he used to, like where my dad had mainly different Mexican weed. Marty in his little lockbox because like he didn't have like kilos he had like smaller amounts <clears throat> and he kept it locked but it was one of those things you could use a hairpin and you could jiggle the fucking lock and open it right <clears throat> and, and so when Mike used to take leave from his Marty it was like all the best Colombians the Colombian gold the Colombian red this Colombian that Colombian very fancy sticky sticky like like not what you would consider like most people think all commercial weeds this you know nasty shit that was but in those years i maybe no i don't even know that no it was better like they didn't do the pressing bales of whatever million seeds no um, it was. Well, it see, was look how close you were to the source, buddy. I mean, you're, you're not yeah. too far from Mexico. And, and so, and then I, I, you know, one time my dad had tie sticks, but this Marty guy, he I would have tie sticks. Like we were, we were, hey, I, yeah, we were thieves. We were kid, kids. We got confronted and caught. Like even it's like rats time, getting when, in the supply. When Marty uh, confronted us, at, at all four of us. Like one day he said, can I talk to you guys? And there was the box. He had looked at the paint. It was one of those things that was had gray enamel on it. And we had fucking jiggled that thing so much that you could see like this wear around it. But like, I remember what we did with the tie sticks. We got these scissors. There was like this bag, I don't know, a bundle of them. And we just cut like an inch off of each one. <laughs> we made them shorter. Right, thought, oh, they're not gonna figure that out, right? And like, even my dad confronted us a couple times, like, right? Because even when these people sold weed, they didn't scale, no, they called them lids, okay? <laughs> they like it was like an amount in a bag, it wasn't like some years in a, in a not a ziploc, those didn't even exist, just a regular baggy like it was called a lid right but yeah as we got older and we take some all that was the time. before it was heavily criminalized right i guess weed was kind of illegal back then but it wasn't like skull thumping illegal right like you wouldn't get busted for a, a, a little baggie of weed right people didn't have to keep it like ziplocked i don't think was that well, was that the big I difference? Mean, I wonder honestly, because now people keep it sealed for freshness or whatever. But for years, people would keep it as like tightly as possible so it wouldn't smell. Yeah, and like even my like my my dad didn't have bales of weed. He had like spears of weed. Like the Wahakin came in like these wrapped things that were just big old long spears of buds. What was the uh, maybe I was and that was out. really like. Like, even at that time, if you wanted to call red hair, green red hair weed, that's what it was. The Wahakan 
spears were like, like when, cause like, okay, by the time I'm 15, I pretty much leave the San Fernando Valley and, and one day, instead of going to school in ninth grade, I took the RTD bus straight down Ventura Boulevard to North Hollywood and got on a Greyhound bus and rode for three and a half days to Greensboro, North Carolina. The first night of a spring dead tour. Like I'd hid all these things in the side yard, backpack, sleeping bag, like weeks and months of planning. No one knew, no one. Mike was supposed to come with me. But that morning, he chickened out. He's like, oh, I can't do it, dude. Well, I, I said, fuck that. See you later. I'm out of here. And like, I, I was just barely like 15. I, I sometimes wonder, like... Yeah, and you didn't come did back I, for a long time, did you? Yeah. Like, I don't even know how... I mean, I kind of know how it happened. I mean, in 19... I was going to say, how did it happen? Like, you're a 15-year-old well, kid. How'd you even know about the dead? Okay, Were you listening to him really or what? starts with... No, I mean, I was brought up around music, but not Grateful Dead. My parents were like, oh. Yeah, jazz is about as far from the dead as you can get, yeah. No, but they were part of, there was like an L.A. music scene. Like my first concert in 1976, my parents brought me and my brother. And it ends up being like historic. It was the Eagles. Like when they were at their biggest prime, right? They were into that music, the L.A. music scene, okay? And in, 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 in that era, Grateful Dead is the Bay Area scene right mm. so they were like oh Joni Mitchell and they had friends and Mike and Billy their mom Ceci or no their mom Kathy's sister Ceci was like mm, I don't even know you maybe the babysitter within that circle Crosby Stills Nash Young uh, the LA music scene Joni Mitchell they all lived in Laurel Canyon and stuff Right. So we went to those shows. And so I've been exposed to concert. And then this guy, Scott, and his older sister moved right next, like three houses down from me. And they were from New Jersey. Right. Scott was my age. And he's like, dude, you guys never heard Grateful Dead? No. And he paid us his tape. And somehow he, his sister had the license. And somehow our parents agreed. And like, even in 1978, I, I think the ticket price was $6.50. But hey, that's $6.50. A lot of but money back then. Parents agreed to let us go. As long as Sherry, that was her name, you know, driving us. Like, right, let's go. Check it out. I know, like, I, we, I, it was before I had any psychedelic desires, knew nothing. I was like just 15 or, 78. Yeah, I, that, that was, I was like 14, right? When I went to this first show, which is a historic show. It's, 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 they had just come back from playing at Egypt on the pyramids and had like this drumming and things. I uh, forget the people's names. Ravi Shankar played at it. Like really heavy shit went up. Because the next night was New Year's Eve where they closed down Winterland. Winterland is a classic thing in San Francisco. 
It was Bill Graham's auditorium that the last show there was on 12-31-78. On 12-30, I went to Pauley Pavilion, UCLA, my first show. And just in line, waiting to go in, somebody like, yeah, we were just kids. We got somebody dosed us. Because back then, like, Mary Prankster, the like today that'd be like, whoa, what do you mean? You dosed somebody that didn't, right. you know, that's not cool. That's what, uh, things were different back then. Like the, the prankster vibe, which I am a prankster. Um, yeah, do, the, like dosing people was like, I don't know, it, it happens, right? But somehow we got dosed, right? Now I can say my little brother, who's two years younger than me, who's much shorter than me, even to this day, it was really shorter than me when we were in the show. Somehow we got disconnected from it. It was just me and my brother. And like, we were just halfway in the front of this massive show. I can remember a song in looking down at my brother and him looking up at me. Cause like all these people, we were like in this mass fucking humanity of shit. Even as I just got high and moved even closer, there were parts of that show where you just like were in the, humanity your feet left the ground you go over 10 feet and then your feet would come on the ground because there was like that much people okay <laughs> it was like this crazy thing and you go pull up this show it's like this epic psychedelic fucking thing with Ravi Shankar doing the same Steven you know I didn't know any of this at the time I was just like totally blown away like like I thought these guys are fucking aliens they know secrets or they know shit Cause like when you take acid and back then when Jerry did his trip on you, it was pretty like special, you know what I mean? Like that's what that whole thing was about. And, and yeah, that was it. Like there was no going back. I was like, and I saw there were already deadheads then, you know, the people I saw that day at the show, the hippie, the deadhead. Yeah. By 1980, like within a year and a half, I was, I was gone. I was, you know, I, I didn't miss any show from 1980 all the way to 87, which then, you know, the only thing that stopped then, we got indicted by the DA in New Orleans and that changed things. <laughs> but I still went to like another couple hundred world. shows before it ended, but I, I, I didn't miss a show from 1980 to 87, which was a lot of shows. Because, okay, I take this bus to Greensboro, North Carolina. I have like California clothes. It's the spring on the East Coast. I'm like completely like, holy fuck, right? They don't even wear the same jackets, shoes. Like, it's, I was like in shock. And that night, I, I remember I get to this three days of this crazy Greyhound ride, stopping at every fucking place along the 40 <laughs> across our country, which was like this eye-opening experience for me as a kid. I raised in upper-class LA. Now I'm like just out in the world on my own, right? With like just, a, I, I think I had saved $164 and left with that. And that night after the show, yeah, the, the next show was uh, Hampton, Virginia or wherever. You, I got a ride 
in this van that becomes historic. Like when I was riding in it for the week or no, two weeks, and it just crossed over 300,000 miles and had been out on tour since like 76, 77. It was like a Scooby-Doo van, Chevy fucking van. And his dude brother, Bill, he was the captain of that, right? And what it really be, was like now, you know, but all right, I rode in this van and went to like a dozen shows up the East Coast. And in Glens Falls, New York, in, in 81, like May of 81, we, we did this tour. Somehow I become the flunky to, you know, he's a historic person. They write about him. There's pictures about Brother Tom, BT, who from the 60s was one of the main undead tour blotter distributors, okay? He was put in prison and on 7777, it's called the Indiscriminate Sentencing Act. Jerry Brown, the original governor, Jerry Brown, signed this bill and they released like half of California's prisoners under this thing where it used to be, you got sentenced to like one to life. Like it was crazy. Like you get a drug case, you get one to life. That was called indiscriminate sentence. I don't know, they changed it. They released that dude from prison. And by like 81, he's back king of the fucking thing. You know, he had connection, you know, uh, that was his thing. And I became like his right hand. So I go on his first tour, I was like a, like a wook basically, we call it today, like just a kid in the lot, only for a couple of weeks. Next thing you know, fuck, I got backstage. I, I stay in the best hotel, we fly. This dude's got more money, so much money that like I've had, most of my job was like carrying five grand wads, every fucking bag, everywhere, shoes. Like, cause we go out on tour with like hundreds of thousands and collect all the money. It was fucking easy as fuck. Like we weren't the only unit out there but we weren't the biggest, right? Like, um, and I never looked back. Like by later that year, somehow just like same thing where I like, oh, I, oh, I already was like cocaine was like, a, driving part of my life like a daily all the time like what i remember there were some years where it just was like good it wasn't addictive you didn't even think it was addictive right it just was good that was those years where yeah just fucking that shit was the only way you could do what we did because like there was no time to sleep dude you fucking dead tour was like we do like 32 shows in 35 days over fucking 8,000 miles and shit. You had to be moving or you're going to miss the, the tour. So, um, uh, yeah, I became friends with Phil Lesh, the bass player. Friends? Fuck, I was just very 16 years old and shit. But, like, after the shows and shit, he'd come over to the room with where BT was really. But, like, I'm the one that, like, gave him the room number and gave him, told him we had a bunch of blow in Minnesota after the show in St. Paul. And shit to this day, he's like one of my better friends. He's 83 now, you know, like that was the cocaine era. And then from the time he came back in 99, 
yeah, basically, even why I entered the Cannabis Cup, which I won, right? Because I used to give them leave all the time. Like that was like our relationship, right? Um, and then one of these years before I entered, I was the judge of High Times Cup. And there was like a run of shows and I had all these jars of the weed. I said, yeah, this, I'm judging the High Times Cup. He's like, the what? Cause like he's originator, dude. He came out of the sixties, you know, a lot of, in my view of it, a lot of the world we have as far as, I don't know, started, don't, don't, don't think that the Grateful Dead movement in the sixties, summer love and all that didn't, you know, have a lot to do with where we are today. Right. So he's like part of that corp member of that. And yeah, he, I remember him like in early 2000, just being blown away or like maybe it was later, but we like over the changes with cannabis. Right. But yeah, we were smoking all these like supposedly the cup winning samples and all this shit. And he's like, dude, your weed is way better than that weed. Why don't you enter the cup? Right. And I did in 2014 right and i i got third place but there were 62 entries in indica that year so like third is considered a win right and i didn't get first place and i won't get into like who got it and like even way back then kyle cushman was right there like wait you work for them how could you also be winning shit dude because <laughs> like would That's you judge? You couldn't judge if you entered, right? Like, so if you entered, then you were excluded from judging, right? He was a writer. But all right, there was like fishy shit that went on, whatever. I, I'm not getting into that. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore because they, karma came. Like, they were like, how did high times like go from being a legendary thing? That, that literally today their their reputation is so bad you can't even give them credit for the pre-internet world they were what everyone like like yeah I, everything i learned everything i knew came from that my parents had subscription to high time since i was i don't even know what age it was on the the, the living room table my whole life Right. Even while I live where I live in somehow in the 70s, I, I forget which issue, but when my friends worked at high times, they figured it out. And, and there are certain ones that can be reprinted or some shit. You have to pay extra money. Right. Um, I, as a kid, early, I already smoking weed, looked at high times and there was this expose on a cannabis grower. Now, back then in high times, there was more centerfolds of cocaine, rocks, and different shit than there was weed. Okay, go back and, you know, uh, look at the high times, late 70s or the 80s, right? It definitely wasn't it is what it became, mainly all weed. It, it, it was all drugs, right? Um, but there was this thing about this grower, and they had pictures. They were grainy, kind of black and white but he was this guy telling a pretty big tale and he was from Fallbrook, California and he was growing Fallbrook red. And 
there was like this pasture. I remember that this pasture, I always thought, oh, there must be a lot of cows there, right? But then as fate happened in my life, when I met my wife, who was from Encinitas, is where she grew up, and, and Lucadia. So the first year we were together, we lived in her little place there with ambition to, to get a grow down here. I had a partnership with a grow up in LA, but when I met her, my I was like in love with her in like, well, I'm from the Valley, LA. I didn't ever know nothing about what it, where I'm at now is what's called North County, San Diego. Basically everything above La Jolla, you know, in San Diego. As much as I live in San Diego, I've been in LA a hundred times more than I've ever been in downtown San Diego. That seems like, what the fuck? Downtown, way fucking, I could be in LA by the time I could be in San Diego. Downtown San Diego's lame. Um, but I live in San Diego. Um, yeah, when we were looking for places, there was a, like a section, Fallbrook. Now there's this other thing, I'm a skater. I followed Tony Hawk since I was a fucking kid. And when Tony Hawk was like a, a, a certain age, when he first had, had his own house and built this ramp, uh, he talks about it all the time. I know right where that property is, Auburn, right? That's um, all. So there was like draws of like Fallbrook, Fallbrook. And even my wife, Sabrina, she grew up down here. She's like, what? That's way the fuck out there. Nobody lives out there. I was like, well, just check it out. And we found this weird ad. And the next thing you know, it was like a triple mobile, even though the rich people that lived on the coast in San Clemente, this was like their toy. They were just weirdos. Yep. San Clemente. Had so much money. They they had like a six hundred acre. It was the biggest macadamia grove in California. It had at least two hundred acres of avocados. They had this house that they would just come and play weekend farmer, right? But we had this low rent and were basically caretakers because they had llamas and all this this shit and 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 um. And that's where we set up our first grow. And like, never looked back. I was like in 99, right? And, and it's in a town called Rainbow, which yeah. it's just right over the hill there. I, I don't live in Rainbow, but I want to die. Everybody knows. Everybody I used knows to Rainbow. love it. Yeah, I used to love it those years. I lived there and people said, where are you from? I'm from Rainbow. I was like, what? Where? Rainbow, right? And it's a bitching spot and there's certain spirituality in the, the hills. It's just it's not really even a city. It's just this little area. Yeah. I, um, think, I think nowadays we would know it as the, the perfect terroir for what we do for cannabis. Well, yeah, well, I'm less than a cup. My, like, technically, I could walk over to Rainbow, but I'm not in Rainbow. Um, and... I'm closer to the coast, which makes the terroir maybe even better. I got a good terroir here. All this area, like, yeah. I've been telling my friends for, for way before legalization, and, and I think it will come like 10 years from now, when they finally realize that Northern Cal 
and Humboldt and those climates. Dude, we can plot, we can grow year round here. Like, like, why do you think that all these greenhouse operations and orchid operations and strawberries and tomatoes and all the avocados is all in this area is due to that, right? Our, our weather, right? Now, San Diego's conservative. And even though the laws were passed basically to get San Diego in county to enact like Vista, Oceanside, these areas, the, the, the voters had to sue the city, which took years to implement what they voted for because they basically just didn't do it, right? So there was like no licensed anything, right? They were, but oh, there's plenty of black market ones but no licensed ones because like they didn't do it until so many years ago, like probably maybe three years ago, four years ago, they, they just keep falling like dominoes, okay? Because yeah, one, count, one little city or whatever municipality, well, there's money to be made. So they're like licensing stuff, but Outdoor stuff? No, but I know I'm, I'm live in agriculture world. Basically, who controls the tomatoes and the uh, strawberry fields? The majority of this and the cut flower business are a group of generational Japanese farmers. Okay, that own some of the most precious plots of land, and like that they could sell and develop so gnarly for housing, so much money in it. But no, these guys pass it on to their kids. It's like, my when I met my wife, her job was working for them. And she used to go take these vans to farmer's markets and sell tomatoes, strawberries, whatever. I mean, even back then, when, I, like she, when we first were together, she still worked for them for a couple of years. There was no difference in the tomatoes except what box they put them in. Right, like, like it was known that the same tomato that's tomato is the same tomato in this box that she would then take to farmer's market and sell it as organic. There was no difference. Same with the strawberries. Now today it might have changed. This is 20, 20 some years ago. But yeah, these guys had the packing house. That's where it all got down at. You know, the big old fucking building in the land and it was full of fucking cases of all this. And, and there's full case uh, stacks and pallets of the cardboard boxes you open up to put in. And, and the same stuff, the same fruit would be put in either or, you know, which I still think that goes on today. You know, when you buy certain products, there's no guarantee, nothing, dude. Maybe there's a little more regulation today than there was then, but. Back then it was, it was like, yeah, it was a hustle. But that's what I think in the long term, big cannabis greenhouses will, will gravitate to this area due to that weather, year round flowering. Like even I posted some pictures, I, I'll, before we get off, I'll walk outside and show you my outdoor. They're like 
weeks into flowering, they're like buds. I don't like depth, right? If I take any of my plants off of supplemental lighting, even if I started them in seeds, harden them off and put them out there, they're gonna flower. I've never found veg, except when I had this Thai plant, a real Thai plant that fucking took like a year and I finally cut it down and it still probably wasn't done, but it was like 25 feet tall and this massive fucking beast. And when I lived in Rainbow, and I'm still friends with him, this, this guy that lived next to me, Gregorio, who was like a immigrant type guy that did a lot of labor work on a lot of the people's land. He raised fighting cocks, which was kind of weird, but also grew Falbrook Red and seeded it himself and had Falbrook Red. And I grew some of that. And yeah, that's acclimated to this area. You plant it a certain year, time of year, it starts to grow and it veges and then fires in a certain time of the year. But other than that, I've given up on trying to, to get into natural veg in this area. But if you learn how to use the 365 days of flowering and uh, supplemental light, that, that, that's the best. Cause like, yeah, you can go year round. And whenever you put it outside or whatever. It's honestly better, honestly, you know, and what's a natural veg anyway. I mean, these plants are already domesticated. You know, we, we don't really talk about that enough. Even land races people are like, Oh, land races, that wild shit. It really isn't. I mean, land races are definitely already domesticated. Like the undomesticated stuff is challenging. You know, like whenever you actually mess with it, it's challenging. If it's a, 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 a tropical well, plant, I it'll mean, die. I've always eight months. Afghan, I, I look at I it wrong that. and it'll die. Say it again. Everything that we know has worked. Everything that we've every strain that we know super worked. Even Durban poison super worked. As much as yeah. people like to claim that that's a land race, that thing no, Durban is a big for, city. I can't remember how many million people, but there's a couple three million yeah, people in that fucking city. Wild, there's all kinds of wild diff, different ditch weed there, and it all gets labeled yeah. as Durban. Yeah. You know, it's sort of weird hey, too. Like there's still Fallbrook red around. I guarantee you, Gregorio still has his fucking shit going on, right? That weed, to me, from knowing what I knew about the Mexican weed I grew up on, was just some, maybe Oaxacan, maybe uh, some other region of Mexico's seeds started to be grown here in the late 70s and acclimated in those years to this area, right? It's a, hey, I don't know if people say, oh, it's not sativa and indica, but okay, that's a sativa or thin leaf or variety. And yeah, it it acclimates. I've always thought like, yeah, now breeders are kind of everywhere, but most of the original stock we're working with of all the good genetics came out of no cow, Northern cow, Mm -hmm. Mendota Humboldt, right? Oregon, a lot of it came from Oregon and from uh, vets and stuff coming back from Asia. Yeah. Yeah. But like the first growing, like, you know, I, I can remember when kind bud, first came into the Grateful Dead scene in like 82, three, four, by 85, there were deadheads. I knew them. Like back when you would like go to the Bay Area shows in the, in the autumn, fall, New Year's, 
that's that was when you could look for and find the dudes that had the the that grew the weed, the good green weed at the time, right? That was so scarce, right? In those early days. And how you could spot them. Like I they like, you know, back then there was dreadlocks, like Rasta guys from Jamaica or people that had that kind of hair. Right, like today, white people have dreads, it's normal, but back then, white people didn't have dreads. But the first deadheads that, that were like dreads, they weren't even really dreads, that was matted hair because mm. the hustle was, and it went around a lot, and a few of these little groups that, that started doing it, it was called BLM Land. BLM Land probably still exists, Bureau of Land Management. Basically, huge swaths of fucking land. Yeah, that's owned by nobody, okay? Or the government. And like today, they got. It's supposed to be actually owned by all of us. It's supposed to be the Commonwealth. Bill Moyers used to talk about that. Nobody ever says Commonwealth anymore. That like I got good weed from wasn't like some established person that had some property and a farm and shit, how these guys were doing it. They would just go hike fucking miles out in the middle of nowhere and encamp and do it until it was done and bring it down. And, 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 and a lot of times when you saw those guys in the lot, if their hair was all matted and they'd been up in the hills for fucking months and months, they probably had the fucking good shit, right? And that's how you spotted them, right? They, they were like, that was their, you know, nothing was legal and shit. But that was the way you'd go, oh, all right, that, who are you going to ask for weed? Oh, that dude, the, the crustiest of them all. They'd have the day-gas shit, you know what I mean? And, and, and a lot of times... Go ask the hermit who's muttering to himself yeah. in the corner. That's the guy who's, who's asking. But like, I knew some of those kids. <laughs> the only time I ever worked in Humboldt was in these early years. I was so strung out on coke. Like I say, this guy that was my boss, BT, arranged that I was like taken up there and like, I was like two, three mile hike out to this encampment where we basically like we're living off of nothing. Uh, and no, and uh, we, it wasn't, it was before trim season, but it was like, there was work to do. And I, I, I was up there and cleaned up for a little bit and then got back on, back to work. Cause like I had gotten, by that point, uh, there was some, yeah, the addiction had, had like, I can remember, like I used to stay up. Like people would be like, what do you mean you stayed up for 30 days? Yeah, like if you went out on the tour and it was a month long, you never slept. You might've nodded off or dozed for a minute or two. That was kind of uh, the fight on the bus, whatever the fuck, right? But no, you, you didn't sleep. Right, you just do blow, right? Wow. And that's how the band, that's how the crew, that's how the whole scene rolled. Okay, <laughs> right, right. That was the world at that time. I can remember maybe it was '85, the first time it started happening, where it scared me. I would like be on a run, like always, and then like have one of those doze offs. Uh, I, I can remember panicked and, and like caught the only in the hotel room. I knew I, I was in this brand of hotel, but I had no idea where I was, who I was, where <laughs> date, 
my I could come out of these stupors of like being Jeez. high for so fucking long, you'd you'd be like blank. Wow. Blank. And like for a minute it's scary because like it wasn't like things just came right back as you came to. Like, you know, yeah, sometimes when you first wake up, you're like for a millisecond. No, you'd be like trying to like reach through your head to figure out who, where, what. And those that used to scare the shit out of me. A couple of times that happened. Right. One time I was on a plane flying to JFK. I had no idea, dude. Like, like I was like, whoa, what, who, when, like, a couple, a couple times I was in a hotel room where I literally called down to the desk and asked, what city, where, what city is <laughs> Right. And I wonder how many times a day they got that question back in the drug days. I mean, still to this day, to be honest. Well, you were like, you only, your, your body, and I was young, right? Yeah, you, you, your body can, you can put your body through some craziness and it'll, it'll keep going to a point. And then that's it. Like, you know. And I mean, I grew up where, yeah, I have like, no one would have thought I would be the survivor out of this group of gnarly kids that I, in dope heads and the deadhead core that I started with. Like, oh, BT, oh, he died, they died. Uh, uh, Eric died, I, they all died, Rip died. Even the dudes I used to hang out in fucking Harvard that had their life ahead, they have fucking OD'd or became heroin addicts and fucking, somehow, Mainly, two things. I went to prison <laughs> in the 90s. And then when I got out of prison, a couple months after getting out, I met my wife. And then I had like the last 25 years. No, I, no, no, no. Like, so, yeah, I, I, I was like, till I was like 35, I was just totally reckless. Right, like, yeah, there was no, I, I was a, just, uh, I don't even know. I today, you can't imagine that I wasn't alone. I wasn't like alone. I was doing this with all this other community people, right? Yeah, we were just shredded twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. Like it was so easy to make so much money out on tour and. And what else do you do with it? Buy as much drugs and whatever drugs were around. That, that was what masculine, everything there was, right? And at a time when these things were good, like one thing I, yeah, nothing, there's no more good. Mainly, I mean, I, you know, my, some of my dad's friends were like heavy duty chemists, like black underground chemists. And even in that era, there, there was no laws. There was these businesses. I used to fucking go there with my dad as a kid called chemical sheds and shit. They were like an industrial area. You just go in, order whatever, barrels. They just put it in the back of your truck. You know, petroleum ether and uh, ammonia dioxide, this, that, and the other. And then at a certain point in the drug war of the, the time, uh, our, our, our government may put restrictions on all those drugs to where they're almost impossible to, uh, the chemicals to get. Back in the earliest days of cocaine, when it was like, like I have what we call kind bud, there was kind ass cocaine. Like the processing was done with pharmaceutical grade chemicals that you could just easily attain. When they would, the Colombians came to America and made all the money, they bought barrels of the shit and brought it back to Colombia to process. 
And then when it became impossible to get that shit, oh, petroleum ether is basically turpentine or bug, use acetone. Matter of fact, if you don't have anything else, just use diesel or gas, right? It's solvent, right? But, you know, a pharmaceutical grade, grade those are equivalent chemicals, but they're, they're industrial quality compared to like the, you know. And so once you cut out them having access to that, then yeah, there's no chance they're gonna be. It would be like if they made all the things we use to make kind bud, couldn't get them anymore. And you just had to like grow in clay or granite or something else. Like yeah, bud wouldn't be good anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's what happened to drugs, in my opinion. Like, like I don't really use them. You grow as much as you want, but you can only grow it in granite fucking rocks. No soil, yeah. no ground up granite, well, just granite fucking you know, rocks. And, Go. And, you know, from hearing certain people <laughs> no and, and seeing documentaries of some of the guys that were like Owsley and certain chemists that did things in that day, they all had this common thing as young kids. They had this Rexall kit that you could buy at the Rexall drugstore that was like a toy for kids, like eight years old and up. It was like a chemistry set, right? That basically had a lot of stuff in it, but there was a catalog that you could order everything under the sun in these little amounts, right? And that by the time they got to college, they were already chemists because they started off as a kid. They didn't build railroad track or this or that. They fucked with this Rexall chemistry set. A whole bunch of these historic chemists have the same thread in their, in their story. Because by the time they got to college, they were already way advanced. And that's how at these young ages, they were able to synthesize and, and do certain things, right? Today, none of those people. Now, hey, the same thing applies all the way across the board as far as entrepreneurship, because unless you have access to all these things, you never, you're not going to invent the next WD-40 or the next anything, right? Because you need access to, to things to make that. And the only access to that is in, in these huge companies. And then if you work for them and invent something, they own it, right? Where at a certain era, you, you, you could be a hobbyist entrepreneur and use chemistry and and you know been a household item and 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 be you know a big success story you, you can't do that anymore you know what i'm saying because first off, i'll probably do it first you you don't really it's not like if you were wanting to now there's people that use that stuff to make illicit things but there was also a lot of people that played in that realm as, as people in the 60s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that, that were trying to like come up with the next product or something, you know, where today the things that you're allowed to work with, we probably aren't going to better have, have the, the right type of uh, access to, to chemistry to, to invent anything worthwhile, you know what I mean? Which I think is some, that, that's, that's wrong. And by the time you go to school and get a PhD or a master's in chemistry, you owe so much money that the only choice you have is to go work for a corporation to pay it back. 
Yeah, they've gotten rid of a lot of cool stuff over the years. We can honestly thank St. Regan for that. Uh, from the California school system to freaking uh, basically getting rid of the shop and arts programs and everything else in, in schools. They've just cut them relentlessly, which is a real shame because honestly, that was a pathway to a lot of people to learn skills-based trades, which actually pay pretty well. And honestly, even just have hobbies throughout their lives. I remember a bunch of people took up woodworking as kids. And, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that that's that's the same concept I'm pointing out is across the board. Even Phil Lash is his foundation over the years on Broken Chain that we do nonprofit work. The main uh, benefactor is a program across our whole country called Music for Schools. And because when a nonprofit like that can buy instruments in quantity, they can get a much better price. And over the years, mainly the strongholds that supported Grateful Dead concerts over the years, those areas, music for school goes in and then keeps a music program alive in a school by donating all the instruments. Because yeah, when I grew up in school, I didn't take music, but if you did, that day, you, that same day you went to the music thing, you went home either with a trumpet, a violin, uh, something the school gave it to you you know and yeah that's all gone which i being a music lover i realized yeah well like what like what's the long term of that oh i guess you can long term is a dumber sadder more depressed uh, population and not dumber i'm not trying to make fun of people but it's true people will become uh, far more easy to manipulate far more easy to lead by the nose and and uh you're cutting off a little bit, bud. Oh, we just lost him. <laughs> In about the best pose possible, right up his nose. <laughs> uh, ladies and germs, I'm trying to figure out right now what to do with the show because uh, it is, oh, there he is right there. Uh, but actually, I was just wondering, uh, a high noon safety meeting, we've basically done the show. We can, of course, go a little bit late. I just lit this joint. But uh, the question now is, what do you guys want to do uh, this evening? Would you like to do a show? Uh, uh, that also applies to D2. Would you guys like to hang for a little bit or not? Uh, we could continue this conversation a little bit later. Or and uh, skip tonight. Say it again, uh, uh, Flora, you can cut out. I was saying maybe go longer on this one a little bit. Uh, you guys... Go a little bit longer. What do you guys think? We uh, yeah. still have to get. We still got to get to Bud's questions. That's yeah, true. We've got a couple questions off. stacked up here. Because uh, if you let me ramble, I and there's a Grateful Dead song called "Ramble on Rose," and that's me. Like, like I've been rambling since I was like 15 and started doing cocaine. Even though I haven't done cocaine in 25 years, I'm still rambling. We'll go a little bit longer on this one. I don't know. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah, let's just fucking keep going a little bit longer on this one. Uh, that makes me a little bit sad that basically game night is dead. Uh, what's that, Captain 420? Or we could have a part two, like the last one. See, that was my thought, uh, but then it, it didn't seem like Flora was interested, so I don't know. What do you guys figure? Uh, it, it, it does make a little bit of sense to just finish it up right now. I don't want to go too late take... because uh, I, I, I might want to go kayaking this afternoon, so I don't, don't want to take too long. It gets we windy could, in the evening. It's pretty bullshit. Thing. We could extend this for a little bit longer than if Bud would like to come back this evening for an extended part. It's all up to you guys. 
I'm down. How do you feel, bud? What do you say? Like, for the ride. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> always the same. I'm down for whatever. Especially now that I, I, I've learned that I they can... call you, uh, buddy, would they call you happy, lucky Joe? No. But, no, you know, I, I, when I was a deadhead, everyone had nicknames. And kind of because it was my childhood nickname, because I'm a junior, right, Ben, uh, I was called Little Ben, but then it turned into LB. My mom used to call me LB, LB, LB. My dad, my grandfather was Ben too. And then when I was like a deadhead, everyone had to have a nickname. Yeah, that was mine, LB. <laughs> Back then, I wasn't even into pounds or any of that. But yeah, and then I realized, yeah, that's a cool nickname. People don't really call me that anymore, but. Like I, I, I was also like a, a Grateful Dead taper. I used to. We used to tape all the shows, bring in equipment, and make our own master tapes of the shows back in the early days. And there's still sometimes on archive when people make a post, they'll like there's a couple that say like the original tape because I used to write on the label LB Master. That was my way of knowing it was my master tape. And so there's like tapes in circulation that were from the ones I recorded back in the early 80s. LB Masters. All right, I'm asking the, the audience here, ladies and germs, please vote here because, of course, uh, we live in a democracy here. You, got, you guys uh, can make your vote matter, ladies and gentlemen. There's not even an elect electoral college here. This is a true democracy right here. Uh, ladies and germs, uh, what to do with the show right now? That's the question. Options are keep it running for another hour. I don't want to leave it too much longer because I have a bunch of work to do and stuff like that, but we could potentially uh, uh, leave it running for a little bit longer. Uh, part two tonight, uh, same story applies. I do actually have a bunch of harvesting and stuff, so I can't really sit on the show for four or five hours, but you know, we could do a little bit. We could potentially do game night in the background while Bud talks about his story. That could be entertaining. That's option two. Eventually, I option run out of three, stories, of course, you know. You know, I don't. Someone was saying that in the chat, but I don't think you ever repeat yourself. There's a bunch of people who tell the same story pretty much every single time you see them. You're not one of those people. I don't think I've ever. I agree with uh, a couple people in the chat. Catholic for twenty. Fuck you very much. I kind of agree with people in the chat. I still haven't heard those stories uh, over and over. But you know, granted, Catholic for twenty may have. Uh, option three is so far nobody's voted for that, so that's nice. Uh, I hate this channel. Cut the show now. And then uh, option four is. Start the Bud Talks, kind of like TED Talks, but Bud Talks. I Bud Talks. Have enough room hey, to, to fit that because I, I did an evil interview. Of, it, it was like five hours long. And I have like a whole <laughs> other set of friends on internet to deadheads, okay? They don't know nothing about any of this shit. There's deadheads, music. And I remember sending them links. And like, this evil what the fuck, dude? Like, you're crazy. Why are you going on these shows and you just tell people like your whole story and you're not worried about it. like, yeah, dude, that shit's like 25 years ago. Like, what the hell? Like, what do they call it? Statue of Liberty. Uh, yeah, because I'm not worried. My, you know what I mean? Well, my dad did. My dad's been dead 10 years. But some That's people think, time. oh, for the two options, keep it running for another hour or part two tonight. It's literally 39% to 39%. <laughs> now, here's the one thing as far really as me tonight. Well, you guys usually don't start, but 
That's a compromise. I probably won't be done with the dead show until eight o'clock because it starts at four o'clock, four hours. We can certainly start a little bit later. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. Flora actually suggested something. Might as well, since we're doing democratic shit. This is an idea that we can toss out there. Uh, I've been wondering myself, probably a lot of people have been wondering what's up with the Wednesday show. Uh, It feels awkward to do two shows on one day. It also is awkward physically to come back and do the same thing. D hasn't wanted to do that. It makes perfect sense. So the question is, do we want to maybe move the Wednesday show to Thursday? That was a great idea, Flora. There's not a whole lot going on on Thursdays these days. Uh, The show, I guess the show was earlier anyway, but still, honestly, there's not a whole lot going on most uh, Thursday evenings. A lot of people are home on Thursday evenings. It's kind of ironic, actually, that there's nothing really going on on Thursday evenings. We could totally do a game night slash whatever the shit on Thursday evenings. That could be a possibility. So thoughts for, for the crowd. What do you guys think? I think not, not, not tonight in general. We, we won't fuck with and it tonight. Not, but... Go ahead. Robot no, I think that'd work out better in my in my opinion, just because there, there isn't a lot of stuff. You know, EA EO's gone. Uh some of the other shows that used to be on Thursday are no longer existed. You know, so Wednesday there's two or three things that go on usually. It's mm, true. That are kind of big. So kind of compete for the you know, slot, you know, some of you know. It's not a loyalty thing. It's just people flip through channels, you know, and some yeah. people will watch this other. There might be a guest on the other channel, somebody yeah, else's sure. thing, right? Sure. They might want to see, right? So it's no, no big deal. It's just they want to watch that. So yeah. instead of competing for that, maybe Thursday would be good because then you're not competing for the Wednesday time space. You know, you should, I mean, the idea is trying to grow the damn channel, get some more fucking subscribers. Oh, I know it. Yeah. You know, it's like, for sure. If they're, you know. But you just have to realize that this is like probably the lowest part of the year coming up is summertime when the kids get out uh that's not that's not really the i I appreciate captain for 20 but that's oftentimes what people say but i've I've been doing it for a couple three years now so it's like always that time of the year (laughs) literally it's like oh shit it's winter so people are outside oh it's summer so people are out no it's it's basically like there's other problems to it maybe that's a factor but there's other other problems to it so it would be nice honestly to find a day that more people are available and stuff like that i don't know work in progress ladies and germs we won't mess with it tonight we will do i think i'm kind of settling into that's a nice idea maybe we'll leave it running here for a little bit longer maybe not a full <coughs> of course as i say this not a full hour it'll probably be a full fucking hour but in the meantime we'll do it a little bit longer we'll, we'll uh, keep up with bud but i honestly i would love to to hear more stories about his time with the grateful dead i'd love to hear more stories about time with uh, uh just I guess he can't speak specifically, but I don't know, different breeders he's met over the years, all kinds of different influences, you know, cannabis wise, because the dude is basically won uh, awards in the cannabis cup that gets you noticed on and on and on. So uh, it would be lovely to talk about that kind of stuff maybe later tonight. Well, you know, let so me, I'm thinking uh, maybe we'll start a little bit later and go for a little bit, you know, and, and I, I'll, I end up, we'll end up having to do some work, but I can leave it running. And if you guys want to chat later. Even when I won the cup, somewhere there's probably, Back then, it was one of the last years that all three, first, second, third, got to give a, a speech. And I was a complete shock. Like, we we entered flower, but we also entered hash or whatever. It was the beginning of the BHO era, and that's what we really thought. Like, three of my friends left after the hash thing, 
because it was like the longest day and, and the wards were going on forever. Because like no one really thought I had it like 62 entries, flower. But I remember when I won, I, one of the things I said was, because I was, even back then, like I had made up, like part of it was I was friends with the people at high time. I'm like, you can pull it up. I made up on the form, this thing called Terrapin. Terrapin's a Grateful Dead song. It's also Phil Lesh's uh, establishment. It's called Terrapin Crossroads. But I, I, I made up this name called Terrapin, Turpin, Turpin Collective, all right? Because you had to be something. You couldn't just be like a, uh, uh, but ultimately I got through the system and I was just a grower. I wasn't like Kyle Cushman in a brand. I forget the dispensary, uh, all the entries in, in that were like from, I think it was mainly 215. Yeah, you had to have a, you had to have a sponsor. You couldn't enter directly. Yeah, yeah. Right. and I sort of I made up your own in there up your own sponsor. This, this was a guy. This was a guy growing. And that to me was like one, as much as I know, yeah, I, I know a lot about the shenanigans. All right. It wasn't like there wasn't the, the shenanigans was it was a pay to play system, okay? Like, oh guarantee you, if I didn't have boost, oh, I forgot to tell you I had ads page ads in the magazine selling my my dab otg stuff like like oh you know, yeah not denying that there was like a something there i you know like this people that spent the most got the most you know what i mean but i was just like a grower like and 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 yeah that's what i'm the most proud of because at the time it was already a thing where yeah even if you grew the best shit, you weren't gonna, it wasn't gonna be easy to get up there. What were we talking about before that? We were talking about back, uh, you had just barely started with the dead and stuff. People were super interested, I think, in all of that, well, like the whole psychedelic yeah. scene well, and everything I, that was back then. Yeah, I, I'm done watering, I'm going inside. Mm -hmm. you, you know, it's been very overcast and not very hot yet. Yesterday and today are the first full Sundays. I think yesterday it said it was 81, hmm. which isn't hot, but because it's, uh, you know, first of the year that it's 80s, just being out there for 10, 15 minutes, you realize, holy shit, I should be in shorts and what the fuck, I thought. <laughs> I T1 is hotter than, this makes no sense because T1 is like, 10 miles away but is tijuana a little bit hotter than uh well 50 miles san diego oh, okay 50 miles uh, uh, technically in the, it all depends where you are in the coast like like san diego itself is right butted up against the uh harbor right there so i used it's, to it's uh, be cool i used to spend time in uh, i want to say national city which is i guess right outside of san diego uh, when I was yeah. a kid, sometimes in the summer, uh, and uh, we'd stay at a, a relative's house and stuff. Yeah, the weather there is freaking just otherworldly. Something that's kind of amusing that I think a lot of people don't think about is that probably at some point during the conversations we've had, actually, I don't know, uh, 
I was going to say that probably some of the time that we've talked over now a couple of years, honestly, bud, you've probably had some earthquakes during the show. And actually, now I think about it, like, have you? Have you had some earthquakes during no, the show? Uh, I don't think during the show, but it's not any that are really available. There was one not that long ago that I guess was like a two point something. I was over on the reservation and yeah, it shook a teeny bit, but we've been, oh, we're way overdue because I grew up. Uh. See, even why we bought the house and moved out to the west side of the valley in 72 was the, I guess they call that the Silmar or there was an earthquake and we lived in, in, uh, uh, what do they call that? Like by Sepulveda and Ventura, right? Uh, I guess Sherman Oaks or Encino, Sherman Oaks. But we lived upstairs in an apartment. My mom, my dad, my brother. And yeah, that was the first one where me and my dad had built a very, like it took us months. It was a motorcycle model, but it had like real hoses and everything it wasn't like some kid thing it was like a very elaborate model and we had finished it and it was up in this bookshelf i mean like man it was like the proudest thing i was a fucking nine years old or some shit and me and my brothers had one bedroom bunk beds or whatever and like the earthquake happened i still remember like coming to scared my parents running in and this huge tree, I, I can't ma know what kind, but massive tree basically crashed into the window, through the window and the wall of that apartment. And uh, it was the scariest fucking earthquake. That was the first one I was in as a kid. And uh, when the dust settled and we went, start cleaning up, whatever, yeah, this giant encyclopedia that was like this thick, had come off the bookshelf and splatted this model. <laughs> Even though our whole house was destroyed, everything, I was a kid. All I cared about was that that fucking model, like I never forget that that model got fucked up in that earthquake. But then I happened to be in all the right places for a bunch of earthquakes, right? Like I was at my parents' house during Northridge earthquake. And that was like, Holy crazy. That was real quick, yeah. That was that our, I, I was are. in the Bay Area in Marin when the yeah. World Series earthquake happened Man. and the fucking freeways came down. I used to I can't play even imagine hold, the clusterfuck that must have been. Fuck. I, I used to play oh. hold 'em and and at Commerce Casino and the bike club and and I was always there till three four in the morning and this one morning i was there to that time and or i left a little early i think it was like two, whatever there was this other earthquake in la i don't know what that one was called but it it flattened the 10 freeway remember the 10 freeway collapse it, it was a huge thing uh i was on that freeway after playing poker all night going back to where i lived in santa monica like within a half hour of the whole freeway collapsing. I was never going, holy shit, if I would have stayed for another round or had a couple more hands, I would have fucking died on the freeway. I remember one time when I was playing at Commerce, literally, it was a fucking gnarly earthquake. Everything, the power goes out. And they have like their own generated power and these weird lights come on. And 
gamble because I, I I spent a lot of time gambling. That's my other vice. I don't gamble anymore, but I used to take them on pretty hardcore. Sometimes I won. Most of the time I lost. That's why I don't gamble anymore. <laughs> I think you said you were a poker player, right, uh, Bud? Poker, or all things? of it. Baccarat. Fuck, dude. I had dreams of taking them for all their money. I had to think about that. I had money. Like, some of this is, uh, yeah, I lived in the era, like, from the, from the 90s to, like, I've grown weed for 35 years, at least 20 of them, nothing for less than four. That four up, wow. right? And oh, we might have not been trying to get two, three pieces of light. It didn't matter, dude. Like it, the, it, it stacked like faster than you could blow it. All right. And yeah, sometimes I look back and be like, but whatever. I had a hell of a life. Tried to I get. I wasn't a big roller, but I was like, I I realized in the end, the little gambling ain't gonna get you nowhere. You can't overcome what do they call it, the rake right the only way to play is like you know serious amount of money especially poker because if you want to bluff somebody off a hand it has to be for enough money there's a everyone has a a point well if you're playing low stakes you're playing with people that will call off anything you know what i'm saying because it's it's low stakes and so yeah i played poker but yeah and I was in a couple other things. One time it was another thing that happened, flood at the, in the kitchen. Dude, and not a minute went by and people were already like going, Wait, keep going, keep going. No one was going to stop gambling, dude. Oh, like, like, I've it, heard it, of that kind of stuff that the fire sprinklers are going and they're like, no, keep dealing, keep dealing. No, and, and like, <laughs> you know, a lot of even what I know about different Asian Asians, like I, like, you know, I, I know a lot of people can't really look at Asians and know, oh, that's Japanese, that's Thai, that's Filipino, that's Chinese. Well, if you play poker a lot and go to these car club places, that they weren't casinos, they were car clubs, at least 50, 60% of the patrons, Asians, like they, like, there's nobody likes to gamble more than that. Especially in some oh, specific just, games, I guess, right? Oh um, man, Pan Nine and fucking yeah. And then, again, Baccarat and the other one. Uh, what's the other one? I can't remember. Anyway, like and a lot of them are like, you know, it's not like, oh look, they're balling. They got a Rolex, diamond rings, and fancy clothes. No, no, there a lot of them are like shop owners and you know, yeah. Just but they 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 play they gamble hard. They gamble hard. And over the years, I learned, like, really, when I had to learn this, when I started playing poker, I, was, I wasn't even at age when I first went in there. I was under eight, but they didn't really card you. And I first started playing stud. And then I played limit poker. And um, but I played it all. But, um, yeah, if you're really at a table by nine players, normal full table, and there's, like, different Asians, you learn real quick to stay out of their fucking gunfights, okay? Because their gunfights have nothing to do with fucking like reality in the poker, right? It's a grudge that the North, I mean, the Koreans fucking, they seem to hate everybody, right? But there's like these grudges between them that like, like, yeah, you just want to stay out of that way. You know what I mean? Like, if you're the hand, pretty good hand, and like the the Korean guy called the the fucking Thai guy, 
Yeah, you might just want to pull. Is it like some old way. like cultural grudge match? Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Like oh, your no, society yeah. conquered my yeah. society 400 yeah, years ago, and we're gonna. Yeah, there's That's there's the competition between them, man, and like, so like as a young kid, grew up in the valley. I didn't know much. About, I Asian. They were Asians, right? And when I was first learning poker, I realized, oh, you better start to understand which Asians are which, right? And after a while. Not uh, it's not like all ones. look that way, but there's certain there's certain things. You know, you can you you know I probably think I'm like nine out of ten. I would bet it. You know, man or woman, age doesn't matter. I could go and say whether they were this this country or that country. There's little finding differences, and in poker that became important because yeah, I learned quick, man, stay out of their crossfires, man. Because they're gonna they're gonna push each other all in because they're fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I've even seen uh, we have a lot of Asians here in Canada, especially in my area, and uh, they're crazy at the casino. I've seen this. Yeah. Well, I've seen this three foot lady, short little Asian lady, push my huge buddy out of the way, trying to play roulette, and also well, another yeah. thing. Well, we I have like a half a dozen Indian casinos within I don't 20 want this miles. To be like an anti-Asian thing. I thought it was just kind no. of funny uh, no, no, no. anecdotes. No, it's definitely not anti-Asian. I, no. it, uh, but like when it comes to gambling, I think out of all cultures, they're like, it's, it's like, it, it's, we, I grew up like the gambling was like bad, vice. I think in, 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 in true like Asian culture, gambling isn't like that. They don't look Protect at it like that. Their, um, I think you're right. Actually, it's legal in Japan. They have what pachinko parlors. I think they're called. It's yeah. kind they of seen. It's weird. It's yeah, like, Japan has all those like they're, they're well, run by like, like yakuza. Yeah, it's they're kind like of cons- considered a bad thing, but it's legal. It's it's a strange kind of dichotomy. I don't know how they wrap their head around it. But I guess Japan is kind of famous for. Sort of, I don't even know. Well, uh, I never. The left hand doesn't know. The right hand uh, uh, doesn't tell. There's this game that's an Asian game that looks like domino tiles. They're tiles, but they're not like dominoes. They got all these patterns. They 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 flip them over and uh, um, yeah, I've I've watched it trying to think. Well, all right, how complicated could this be? It's probably a lot less complicated if somebody explained it to you. Which I never had really done, but yeah, I've, I've watched hours of that going down at high stakes, and I was like, "What the fuck are they? How? What? How does this work? What, one better than the other, and they keep flipping these tiles." And yeah, I ne- that's the only game I never played. But all the other things, I'm taking shots. Hmm. Yeah, I've had some huge wins. Like that. What, what I realized, like when I realized that gambling. Was- <laughs> Like a waste of time or whatever was all that would happen because I, I periodically you got a winner you're not going to do it all that would happen if I won big like whatever I, I think the most I ever won was 22.5 but I probably had like that night alone 10 grand in you know what I mean so okay how much did I really win <clears throat> it's all bullshit right but whenever I would win all I would do is go from $1 games to $5 or $10 games, right? Or I'd go from 
playing $25 blackjack to $100 blackjack, thinking, okay, like it was the whole concept was you were going to start here and then you were going to, because every once in a while you'd be in the casino with somebody and they would go on a fucking run. And by the time they left that night, they'd taken a, you know, four or five grand into fucking a hundred grand and walking out, you know, it happens. <laughs> but a lot of times you get, uh, yeah, it's a fucking, it's a losing proposition. That's it. And what I found out with Hold'em, when I really stopped playing Hold'em, is I understood it. I understood the math. I understood the whole thing. But I didn't have the discipline to institute it. Because, like, I'm the type of guy that, like, in the first few hands, I, I fold 6-3. Of course, 6-3 off suit. You can fold that. And somehow it flops 6-6-3. I'm like, fuck. And then like a few other hands later, you don't even have six three, but you realize the nuts of that hand would have been six three to make a straight. And then all of a sudden for the next few hours, anytime you get six three, you're like, ah, oh, fuck, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play it. Next thing you're calling off fucking huge amount of money on this hunch that you that you have. I vibe, because I always think, oh, there's vibe. There's, I have a friend that makes his living off of poker for all these years and we would talk about it he's like yeah dude that's how you lose there's no vibe everything is math and if you don't stick to the math you're an idiot right i couldn't stick to the math i would have gut shot feeling every once in a while gut shots would come in and then i'd tell my friend yeah dude i fucking called it a dub with this and i fucking hit it on the river dude took fucking the whole thing Right. And you'd be like, yeah, uh, you're stupid, dude. Right. I'd be like, what do you mean? I had fun. That was fucking killer. I pissed off the fucking other players. No one could believe I called that much with that. <laughs> but if you play all the time, oh, no, that shit don't work. You know, and I was the type of guy. That's, the thing, that's friends, an adrenaline rush, right? So you had a great time. You have an amazing story. But if you did that for a living, fuck would you'd have a heart attack from the stress. Right, like yeah. if that was your daily work, oh fuck, you'd be you'd be toast. So yeah, that guy sticks to the numbers. How funny! And, and you know, even like part of my hustle, like because I go to this car club in Oceanside, still there, Oceans Eleven. I I have people that are my cousins that how I met them was at those poker tables, right? Because my routine was, I used to have multiple places, and in the evening, my lights always come on at night. I have all this work. I go from one place, do this, and I do the, the defoliate, all these things. And this is in the era where like weed was 215. Like, like I stopped caring about smelling. I actually used to use the smell as like a lure, right? Because back then you'd meet people, unsuspecting people. Like, dude, man, that smells good. I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I grow it. And next thing you know, lifelong fucking relationships, right? From the poker table, people that play poker got money, trust me. <laughs> and yeah, um, the other side, like deadheads, oh, I have my, but I used to race go-karts, shifter cards. I was fucking national, uh, regional champ, like almost all the seasons I ran. I was sponsored by, by, by monster energy drink, all this shit, dude, right? And 
And most of the go-kart community were very rich parents that were like trying to create the next Lewis Hamilton or Vettel or uh, Danica Patrick. So they were taking their kids like six, seven years old and bringing them into karting in the hopes that they were gonna, you know, so out in the middle of the desert, go kart race, whatever. And there'd be like $100,000 Prevost fucking buses and all these got people. Even the years and when I pulled out of karting was after, uh, what was it, 2009? Remember that, the financial crisis? What I realized, all these people I knew, they were, I remember just about everybody I met, either them or their wife or some, was in the mortgage business of some sort, right? And all this money that these people were spending was, what do you call it, equity or whatever, you know, from the boom of the real estate. And then when that shit crashed, go-karting pretty much crashed because it, there's no money in it, right? Even myself, I had sponsors, but oh no, I, for, I used to, oh, the chase championships and shit, I used to probably spend 10, 10 grand a month. I had team, I had practice, I had, oh, endless amount of parts, endless amount of engine, dynos, like if you were gonna be in the top competitive thing. And I, I didn't start off like that. I just went and I don't know, I caught the bug kind of like this. I mean, I'm born an addict basically. I don't even know what my parents were doing when I was in fucking, yeah, I mean, they, they were up to a lot of shit. Um, so I don't know, I don't blame anybody, but. Oh, I, and, and I started young and I've gone through parts of my life trying to address that. Actually, gambling was like, what do they call it in, in, in 12 step? Like you just switch addiction, right? Right. And I also realized, I mean, I was in therapy and I'd help. Like at a certain point when I was going through all this stuff from like up until I was like 35, um, what is it when you feel so pitiful? There's a term for it. But like, like just like when you become such a drug addict, you become like this pathetic thing, right? Gambling, the same thing happens. You like beat yourself up, right? Like, oh, you lose a bunch of money you shouldn't have lost or holy shit, I used to lose all the money, right? Um, then you can beat yourself up over it. There's a term for it. It's like this weird thing that the addicts have in common, right? Where they like like to like put themselves in these like pitiful situations because they don't feel like and you real I realized at some point, yeah, there's something missing how I felt. Right. Like, because like I used to like sabotage myself. And then I realized I was addicted to that. Like that, there's a term for it, like desperate feeling, like hopelessness, like. Like, what did I do? How did I, like, why didn't I stop when I, at the first 5,000, why did I spend everything? You know what I mean? Because there were times, yeah. Luckily, I was growing. So like, even if I like blew 30 grand, which happened times over a few days, I'd be like, oh, well, I'll tighten up for five, six weeks and then there'd be the next batch, <laughs> next batch, you know? Uh, but then uh, it's been maybe six, seven years. 
yeah, I just, I got tired of gambling. But that was like a, I guess, yeah, the addiction. But it wasn't the winning. That didn't, that wasn't it. It was the losing. That pathetic, I, there's, in the 12-step thing, they, they have a term for it, but I can't think of it right now. Even when I was in, in uh, AA for 18 months, my sponsor was David Crosby, the musician sponsor. His name was Mike Finnegan. He just died a few years. He's one of the best organ players in the fucking world. He played in CSN and all that. And I used to go to these meetings every Wednesday called the Musicians Meeting, right? And this other one in Roxbury, Men's Stag Meeting, all these meetings with all the, like, like even I realized why I didn't stay sober more than 18 months is because like, it wasn't really about myself. It was about that I was like around all, like what kept me going to all these meetings was that I was around all these celebrities at the meetings. Cause like one, I don't know, like I had a celebrity sponsor that sponsored other celebrities, you know what I'm saying? But that don't keep you sober. Yeah. Like, there's a lesson I learned in all that. They say in those 12 steps, there comes a time in every alcoholic and addict's life where they don't have a mental defense against the first drink. That's part of the like thing they say at every meeting. They, they embed that in you. I remember being young and like just thinking, huh? What does that fucking mean? Right? They say a bunch of other things. Well, I was 18 months sober and like super into it. Like it meant everything to me. I was secretary of this meeting. I sponsored other people, of course, celebrity kids, because like I grew up around all that and was really into it. But I used to still like go to clubs and music and shit, but I've stayed sober. Like I'd just be there. Well, this one night in some place in Hollywood, some like really attractive, turned out Colombian chick in Nia's bar hanging out, talking, hitting on her, whatever the fuck. And like, she just like pulled out a fucking thing and offered me some and without thinking, I'm telling you 18 months, my whole life was, I'm sober, I count the days, I'm sober, I'm sober, I'm sober. It wasn't even a thought, right? I was just like, boom, and I did it. And that led to a night of fun with her and all this shit. But then the next day I had to call my sponsor and be like, yeah, I, 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 and I remember trying to talk to the guy into saying, yeah, well, we could just pretend it didn't happen. It's like, no, you can't do that. You're, you're, you're going to have to stand up as a newcomer and start over. There's no way you lost your year, 18 months. And it was like heartbreaking. I, at that point, I was like, oh, fuck this. I never like tried to do it that way again. Actually, it just got to a point that was, I think I was 28 or nine when I was trying to do that. It just went away one day. Okay. Can you reset your camera, bud? It's like blurry. Oh, you know what's happened? Yeah, we're looking I'm at sure. our Nyquil bottle or something. <laughs> I, uh, I had it for I could show the garden and I came inside. That was a long time ago. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. I was, like, it just came to a point where I was, like, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then, but I remember for so many years, I couldn't get off of it, no matter what I did, right? I, I was like stuck in the cycle of it for 20 years. 
you know, like I started when I was 15 and like, yeah, I was 35 by the time I like finally like was like able to say no and not have that. Now I've had other, in, in the years past, oh, way before the opiate epidemic, shit, this goes back to my first dentist, Dr. Perry that passed on. When, when he was doing work on my mouth, we had this whole plan with a couple years to complete. He, he didn't even give you a, a prescription. When you, every appointment I went to, he would give you a, like one of those paper envelopes with like 10 Vicodins in it. And yeah, I used to take them, I guess. I, I wouldn't take them because of dental thing. That didn't even hurt, right? I'd save them. And like my wife, oh, I'd say she was fucking alcoholic, right? She drank, but I know I don't drink. But I used to like to take pills. So I, she'd drink and I'd take pills as like my way of partying. And it was a long time ago. Yeah, I got like addicted to those things way before there was like talk of it being not oxys and all this other stuff, just like a years of taking. But even when I was go-kart racing, you get banged up. It was tough. And a lot of the old guys, like, oh, well, I'd have a crash and the preheat or something. And sure enough, guys would come over to my 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 tent and they'd say, Oh, you need a, a like they they called it Dan or Vic and Dan. Like you need a Vic or Dan, like like Vicodin, Vic or Dan. And it was like I can remember taking those things and being in like the main event of races at like very dangerous high speeds and realizing holy shit like like because one thing when you when you're racing like that stock carts no they're i mean these are shifter carts like you don't know what to, I, I, like, I, like like how, how like what kind of speeds were you talking that you were going like 90 miles 100, an hour 100 100 but but you're you're so not you can seriously over. hurt yourself. Oh, it's gnarly, dude. Like at this point, if you follow Formula One racing, right? The way that a new driver is developed, they start them at six, seven years old in go karts, and when they're like 16, 17 years old, even right in there, they take them straight from shifter cars, <coughs> right, to Formula yeah. One. It used to be you went through Formula Ford, F2, F3, F2, get to Formula One. Now they're like, oh no, if you show that you have this certain talent in a go-kart, basically um, reaction time, fast ass reaction time, because everything, these tracks are small, you're in tight quarters, eh, there's no suspension, eh, these things are very fast, um, quick, like, in the scale, you look at scale, oh, this is way faster than, even to, to this day, Formula One drivers, top one, that drive Formula One cars. When they wanna fuck around on the weekend and drive, they go back to shifter carts, right? There's a certain, if you've never seen a shifter cart race or, or been at one of those events, oh, it's, it's badass, dude, it's badass, man, and, but, the point of this was even my racing, I remember the first time I rented a car at this track and did these laps. You, you paid so much, you do lap in a, in a full-blown 
100 mile an hour car, right? I was coming out of the turn, the second lap, where you had enough speed, you were like, like your back end was coming out of your power sliding, right? And your foot, your brake, and your gas. Like, I've been chasing rushes since I was 15 years old, all of them in drugs, chemicals mainly, right? Or gambling. But I was not in control of any of those, right? When I first, the first time I drove a go-kart, it was like, it clicked on, I, there it was, the rush was right there, right? It, the adrenaline here, right? So not necessarily serotonin or whatever the other things that you get high on, but it's even more intense because adrenaline, holy shit, dude. Like if they ever package that stuff up, I think that might be the most addictive fucking drug, right? There, there, and if you and think about doing something super on the edge like that, yeah, to win, to to to, to be at that level, oh, you have to be, go over the edge. And when you're over the edge, you're like running on adrenaline. The That's first couple years, I would. That's funny. Dude, I would the same one I did. Like I would like literally because I like, hey, I got so good and had a team and a coach. And I still remember Frank Bain, who was like, you know, real professional race car driver and all this from my coach telling me, dude, you're really good. But, you know, unless you start going to the gym and working out, you can't get any better, dude. You, 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 it. You're never going to go national or, or further. You have to get in shape. And I, I'm a stoner. Dude, I, I used to smoke weed all the way to the track and race, right? One time, these, these two brothers that were like my main rivals, yeah, I'd gotten second place, which was going to make it that I was going to win the championship, right? And that, in Scusa. And they filed an appeal against me saying that I, I had, had been, they had smelt, and they had other witnesses say they had smelt canvas around my my pits which yeah it was after the race i smoked some weed and they disqualified me and i was so livid that i had my 215 card and shit so i sued them hired a lawyer and spent money to try to like appeal this saying i have medical i was just medicating and they basically had guidelines in their thing that you'd sign to participate. That yeah, I had no no grounds. I, I lost that and lost that championship. Oh, but yeah, I I I but and and I raced in a class because of my natural weight, right? I was I was actually really good. If I had found that as a kid, I probably wouldn't have made the choices. I'd probably be a race. I had to, I have talent driving. It came naturally, even though I had people teaching me apexes and certain concepts of going, learning how to shave tenths of a second, you know, because that's what it gets down to. Um, yeah, it was like a natural. And I waste, there was two classes, uh, seniors and masters. Masters was 35 and up, but the cart and you weighed 410. 410 pounds. Well, that would mean I'd have to add like 25 pounds of lead somewhere on my cart to make weight. But there was this other class called senior, 18 and up. 
my card in me came right in on that 385, right? So for all the time I raced, I raced in seniors, right? So there would be these upstart kids that had been since six years old. I know, I would hear their dad say, you, you're not gonna let that fucking deadhead stoner dude beat you. There's no fucking way. He, I, I would literally smoke cigarettes right on the grid before I'd race, right? Right? And, and be jacked up on coffee and no health at all. No Gatorade, that, just fucking beer, pounding it. I'm joking. Yeah, okay. Except <laughs> That's that terrible. Here's, Don't drink a here's my routine. And I'm friends with some of these younger guys that grew up and are my friends. <laughs> but that I were a against. terrible race car driver. Your favorite, they, would, they would tell me, like, yeah, you were always good the first half of the race. But like my dad told me, just stay right on your ass because the last two or three laps, you were gasping and you're fucking vulnerable, right? Because that thinking was my. A, I'm thinking of a mashup of Ricky Bobby and uh, what's fucking name from Eastbound and Down, the baseball player. So what <laughs> I was really doing was like mastering adrenaline and running on adrenaline and trying to win. Well, if you get good at something, no, no, it's the opposite way you have to go. You got to get calm and relaxed and stuff, right? To to to, you know, achieve better results. There's no way that hectic thing works and like oh all through the years mainly at the beginning i learned how to control it a little because the, the the main event the main would be like 30 minutes the heats were like 15 minutes or 15 laps or 30 laps 30 laps 30 minutes worth well 30 minutes is a fucking long time if you're not in shape i can remember like the pains in my arm and me just willpowering it right and Every time a race is over, because it's weight, you pull and you pull off into the pit and there's a scale. You go over the scale with your helmet, your gear, and you have to be 385 or over, not 385. And uh, when you first come out, everybody kind of lines up. They take a few minutes to get the scale set up and they start bringing one after another. So my normal routine would be the race would end. Sometimes I'd finish good. Some, you know, shit happened. I didn't win them all. And a lot of times I didn't actually win so many races to win the championship. I just like made it to every race and finished like second or third, fourth. I, I had good results all season long. Right. But my routine would be I'd pull in and as fast as I could. I, I half the time I couldn't even shut my helmet. I would just open the visor, right? And they, it wasn't like I had food or anything. I drank coffee and water, right? But I would throw up. <laughs> I'd run off like a few feet off the track and be like, bah, bah, right? Because I was so jacked on adrenaline that I would be puking. <laughs> and, and yeah, my my team, my coach, my sponsors were all like, yeah. Like, you know, they tried to lead me into the path of health, basically. Work out, these routine, we do it together, you sign up, we, we, you know, other people do it. These are, because there's certain exercises, you don't want to bulk up to be in this part. But there's like forearm strength, <laughs> you need that, okay? And part of it is this. Like if you're doing 30, if you, like to really race good, 
you don't clench the steering wheel. You lightly hold it, okay? When you raced the way I did, no, I was like, I was stiff the whole time, okay? I could never relax because, oh, I tried. I remember my coach saying, yeah, let's try to relax. I, my times would be so slow. I wasn't even competitive, right? Right? So, yeah, and then, you know, I'm a huge deadhead. So like certain tracks, I would practice. You'd practice. During the race, you can have no helmet with any kind of uh, headset, no communication, and no music, anything. Your helmets are inspected. But in practice, I had a helmet that had ear, ear, ear thing. I had, I think it was an iPad pod or something. I had music loaded on. And I'd find sections of music that I knew so well from the Grateful Dead and all the years of Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead, Grateful Dead, that like I would go out there and I could cue up a song. Cause like, like part of when I like was really starting to get good was this one lesson that my coach taught me how to do would be, I had a stopwatch. I could lay in my bed, you know, just relax, shut my eyes, lay there and visualize whatever track we're practicing for, whether it's this one, that one, whatever. And be able to like do lap in my head, in my fancy, think it through, you know, like visualize it, shut your eyes and visualize it and go and do a whole lap. So like that track we were doing 56.7 second, right? That I should be able to visualize it and pretty much when I crossed the line, hit the stopwatch and be right, right in that range to the 10th, right? Oh, I remember when I first started practicing that, shit, I'd be like, like way off, 10 seconds off one way or another in my timing. But after years of practicing that exercise, yeah, when, when I, in those weekends is when I did kick ass because I had it like visualized. <laughs> It was, it, it, these are like tricks that they professionals use. And, and, but yeah, I always raced willpower and adrenaline. I never, I never got in shape, but well, I never, I have a whole closet full of trophies, <laughs> jackets. Like Skuza is S-K-U-S-A. It's the international karting. It's probably the top thing. I never, I raced nationals. But I was I was regional champ a bunch of years in in a class against eighteen year olds at thirty five years old. So yeah, like it. I was a, I was like obsessed with it. I still didn't have your go kart. Yeah, I have like a. It, you still have that? We still. Yeah. And 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 the dude that sponsored me, like, look at thirty five. They're sponsoring eighteen year old tell. kids that have a future, right? That he's now died. Basco is his name, but he's the person that invented or owned independent trucks and Thrasher magazine. So if you're a skater, you know him. All the chassis of the go kart. Yeah, I, I grew up. I grew up on Thrasher magazine, dude. So it's, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So in the go kart industry, all the chassis companies come out of Italy. Okay, Burrell, all these companies, right? CRG. You know, there's all these companies, all Italy, right? And Homeboy was like super rich. He was like a hobbyist racer like myself. 
but he he stopped racing by the time I came around. He was older, um, but he built the only American chassis company called Track Magic, right? And it was basically in this warehouse building that also housed the independent truck company and Thrasher Magazine was based out of there in San Francisco. And somehow, I don't even know what our connection was. Yeah, he went out on a limb and sponsored me, right? So I drove for Track Magic, which was like in a thing where I, yeah, our chassis weren't near as developed as the Italians and the, and the other ones, right? But, but uh, I, did, I made good showings with, with that track magic um but yeah it was sponsored uh, to me that was like super like it's weird i always leave this out but like i guess before i was a stoner i was a skater skateboarding for so many years like the only time i really ever hurt myself is a compound fracture where like my bone came out of my wrist oh, wow. and and that was in this 15 foot bowl in the 70s in agora it was like one of the first skate parks and yeah, I, I, I forget what age I was really into that. But the, back then, just doing air, like one of the things of watching the progression of skateboarding, because yeah, I was a kid. So even what's crazy, you know, I really look up to Kelly Slater. He's 51 and still surfing at the top level. Well, that ain't shit, dude. Tony Hawk is 55. His leg literally was broken half like less than a year ago. And somehow he's back like skating vert, right? Like insane, right? So like, he's pretty, he's pretty gnarly, Tony Hawk. But uh, yeah, I've always followed that. The progression of where skating is, I can't, like as kids, we were just grinding and starting to do these things. Where they took it, I, in our wildest dreams, I could never imagine that that's where it would end up. Right. But uh, yeah, I guess I, you know, that same time, I mean, I was out in the valley and all this, but I knew that there was like Dogtown. That's when it started. That was like, I was part of the shit. My first skateboard, I think it was called a Logan, these red wheels. Like those boards weren't even pool. A lot of the skating I did, we would find abandoned houses with pools and drain the pool and skate these crazy pools that weren't even really skatable and ruin the coping and ruin the tile and shit get run out of there but didn't matter like that was the era i grew up in as a young i was into skating and then well i'm grateful dead took me away from skating but i still follow it like i live right here north county san diego well we're pretty much the capital of all these sports I'm talking about, skaters, all the top skaters live in Carlsbad, San Clemente, all the surfers. I don't care. You could be the Brazilian Felipe, Felipe lives right over here in San Clemente. You know, the surf, skate, capital of the world. So all the companies, a lot of them have moved now, but Quicksilver and all those were just little things that started out here in North County that became billion dollar, you know, surf brands or skate brands. When I used to live 17 years in Bonzel, this other beautiful house that was our main thing for 17 years, um, I was just like 
less than two miles away from Bob Burnquist's house. Bob Burnquist built that mega ramp. And I don't know if you call skating know who Bob Burnquist is. But he, he skates some different styles. And well, Bob Burnquist, badass. And he was, I wasn't at all into organic vegetable. Our fruit stand is how I met Bob. Because we had a fruit stand for 20 years at the, on the highway down there. And he was like into organic gardening and shit and would somehow bring, mainly his wife would bring boxes of extra stuff they had and then we'd buy it to sell. Um, and I, I used to, I, I was past being able to skate or anything. I, 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 I wanna own like a cool skateboard, but I don't, I already know. I don't wanna like skate around and fucking break my arm and shit. Because <laughs> like, skateboards you better take it pretty soon i'm too old to be fucking skateboarding even though I'm, no but yeah I, I i had done it in so many years i don't think i could really oh i could skate around and do little but you know uh do anything serious nah that's that's too much that's gnarly but yeah i used to go over there back when this mega ramp thing was happening built right on this property right down the street of my house this, they had it in the x games a couple years this double huge like mega ramp where they <laughs> yeah that that was right there everybody would come there all the skaters i'd just hang out up on the thing there was like a little area where spectators could hang out and watch and all everybody all those names all those guys that have legendary skaters would hang out and do sessions certain certain times a year, certain days. And yeah, I used to go over there and hang out with them. Heck of an interesting show. But what do you think? Uh, what's that, D? We should probably get to those questions. Yeah, bring them on. Good point. And then let's uh, let's do those questions and then bounce for the evening. Very good idea, D. Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, precisely why you are the uh, the only other head moderator, basically. Uh, well, Pip Jam also, but he's the, the European moderator. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, what's that, Florida? o'clock. Is that what he's thinking? These yeah, we actually haven't completely decided. You mentioned nine o'clock. I feel like nine o'clock might be a little bit too late for some folks. So I don't know. I might start a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'll, I'll see. And hopefully there could be some. There's going to be someone around. You don't have to come earlier if you don't have to, uh, or if you if you can't. Uh, but just I'll, I'll get the show started a little bit earlier, just because it seems like it's a little bit too uh, late if it's nine. But anyway, uh, yeah, something like that. I'll, I'll probably try to post something. By the way, my apologies, folks. I did not have a chance to post a, a promo for this one. I just didn't have time. Uh, first question, I think, was Zesty Airs. And it was... Buddy, uh, in the past, he said you've said that you have not changed your growth style. Uh, is there any change to that comment? It's an interesting comment, Zesty Airs. So have you changed in no. the end... Your gross I mean, there's all. like little things that have morphed along the way, but my watering drip system reservoir, no, that's 30 years of the same basic pumps, drippers, mechanism, four by eight trays, same, HPS light, MH light, same, preferably Rockwolf, I had a choice, some of what leads me into Coco's cost seems pretty effective, but 
kind of got Rockwell master dry back and I can get Rockwell rocking and and I've 30 some years of Rockwell. Um, some of the recipe things I've changed a little bit over time, but no, nothing else. No. For a lot of years, maybe 20 some years, 20 years at least, didn't use ACs. One of the reasons it brought me to this area is that you, if you run at night and move air, so my rooms were set up like that, where I just had intakes and outtake exhaust. And I, uh, back when I used to do that, I found that if I ran excessive amounts of, what do they call it, CFS, yeah, air, meaning, oh, CFS. this cubic feet might only need 1,100 cubic feet per minute or whatever, I'd put 4,000 uh, massive 12 inch, 14 inch, mega uh, fan but as long as you had the same amount in is out which static pressure starts to matter when you're moving that much air in a small spot um yeah, this was before carbon filters or there i remember a time like that thing we were using were these 12 inch ozone generator things that we would try to control the smell even though i lived like on acreage and I don't know who I was worried about smelling it. It was a different time. I, I found that if it moved enough air fast enough, there wasn't any smell. <laughs> and how I realized that was the couple times when I, like I said, I lived there 17 years, a couple years into it or whatever, there, the power went out one day. So fans are off. And it didn't take but like five minutes and you could smell it all the way at the end of the property that fast. I was like, holy shit, this shit smells. Once those fans came back on and moved the air so fast, you know, maybe that air smelt a teeny bit, but it never had enough time in the room to pick up much smell. <laughs> and so that so was what my they method. say about uh, toxic agents, the poison is in the dose. So you could even potentially take a teeny tiny little amount of cyanide, but it's a teeny tiny little amount. So I guess basically the air was just so diluted that you couldn't smell it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there was it. probably a little, but like that was my method for the longest time and running it. And where I lived, there was like a couple weeks in the summer <coughs> that I'd have to go, go in and like shut off a couple of the lights manage it for it didn't get too hot only a couple weeks some of the years and then there was a time and actually yield would go down but there would be the time in the winter where you were like running low temperatures some of those yield would definitely shrink but i remember those being like the crustiest best tasting plants hmm. right because we, we used to like the whole mythology of the PD, that's kind of relatively new. I'm still having, I, I, I try to practice it, but it's a, totally against everything I did for my whole life. Like we tried to keep humidity way below 50% and temperature like in low, like low 70s. And, and another thing that I've like, think that like why like I look back to when my, some of my batches were the best they were back back then. <clears throat> Diff. 
right? And some of what I remember realizing was when you run at night and then the daytime temperature, yeah, your diff sometimes gets off. But when I had like a diff of like 10 or 15 degrees, that 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 was like a thing that made really dank bud, right? And now it's been over 10 years, everything I do is in sealed rooms, split minis, CO2 generator, dehumidifier. Oh, I know, I know the parts I could buy. You have to buy a different kind of thermostat that is basically you could set it for 12 hour, you know, sleep cycle temperature in a, in a fire room set temperature. But like, it's harder to get a diff when you have split mini these you know these are top split minis where like you pick a temperature um to try to keep it you know where you want it where the lights are on but then it doesn't go down like i have a gauge right here that's wireless so right now in the room it's 76 degrees when the lights were on last night that same gauge says 81 it's only six degrees, right? If, if I could change and have this other kind of controller, I could do it, it's just whatever. Like, it, I, I used to care a lot more than I care. Um, I would have it like at 65 degrees. Used to care. <laughs> you know, like, well, like, I used to chase every little thing and, you know, now I'm more like, well, I think that's how everybody, Here's another everybody starts there, out that way, right? More devices, like I'm one of these people that thinks keep it simple, stupid, right? And so some things have, like when I look at these new fertigation things, all I see when I see one of the beautiful plumbing and all this, I see, holy shit, that's a lot of failure points. So fucking a lot of valves, it's a lot of things because even with equipment and even some of my choices and things, like man i have equipment i like probably a third of the lights that are currently going i know my whole veg the metal halides those are magnetic there was a time i had switched all to digital right man i bought fucking 50 60 of those things over these years that i switched all to and back then they used to have five-year warranties now I think it's only three-year warranties. Yeah, like five years, six months, five years, eight months, five, six years. They just, oh, they don't come on anymore, right? Now, this is sort of like my experience with the equipment. Maybe is why I haven't been one of the first people in on LED and all this, right? Because... Yeah, when I say I have some balances that are whatever years old, I thought those, they're not any store-bought one. They're somebody built the, the cases and put the transformer, the condenser, the, the capacitor, and the igniter. Those are the three components inside of a mag magnetic ballast. That's it. Very simple. Even if one of yeah, these didn't come on tonight, I could go to an electronic store, even the hydro store carries it's it. Very, it's very, it's very simple. It is very simple, but it's very detectable. 
Right, oh, I could replace the capacitor you. and the thing will work for another 20 years. Okay, the transformer ain't going anywhere. Oh, yeah, it's cheap, right? Too. It's cheap right? as hell too. Yeah, and and so like, oh, so many years ago, I bought all, switched all the digital. One thing I realized, oh, I had to change bulbs, which, okay, that's one of the reasons to switch to LED for sure, bulb cost, right? Um, as soon as I went to digital, I realized, holy shit, you can only get like two runs out of these bulbs before you got to change them. You, you would see the fall off, like, you know? Uh, and, and to this day, eh, things are a little different, but I used to, at some rooms, switch them every run because a run on fresh HPS bulbs, well, maybe you got the money, sure. one, one or two, per, well, wait, one or 2%, okay? Let's say it's one or 2% on that first run, brand new bulbs. Well, wait, do the math. Isn't that, that 2% gonna be the 60, 80 bucks for the bulb, right? Absolutely. So, right, but okay, now I try to run them two runs in digital. And like I say, some of my lights are magnetic and digital. Oh, I can see the gray arcing on the bulb of the ones in the digital ones. Meaning when digital first came out, their gimmick was that they were X amount of lumens more than the magnetic, right? Like we were rated, I forget the math numbers or whatever. Well, what they did was, yeah, they push them just that little bit harder, right? Now there's some bulb companies that claim their bulbs are actually made for the digital balances, right? But those ones still don't last that long. Um, yeah, because they, they that extra 10% they're burning, that's why they fucking heat up and they fucking, the, when I say I see this gray on the glass, right? It's because of the heat, right? The bulb, the, the glass of the bulb gets this burnt, it's very, undetectable gray color to it just after like two months in a magnetic one you could probably run that thing almost a year dude we used to change our bulbs like every year when we went to uh digital oh no you had to change your bulbs they'd burn up they were cooking them right yeah that's interesting uh, i wonder what uh, I, what's going on there then i remember the the one okay when i bought this first 30 digital ones in the initial one, one of them broke like a couple of years in, died. When I took it back, they gave me a new one. No problem, no questions asked. Well, when I came back in five years, six months later, my friend owns the store and everything. So I, you know, no, they were out of warranty. And I've never seen, so that's it? He's like, yeah, it's a doorstop. And that's what they are. Because I probably have a bunch of digital ballasts that I haven't thrown away. I've marked on them, not working, right? But that's it. They're 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 trash. Okay. There's nothing to. I guess somebody could recycle Copper. whatever. Well, in the digital one, it isn't any of that stuff. Okay. The bottom line in a magnetic one, yeah, you can recycle that transformer because it's wrapped with fucking copper wire, like a ton of it. That's what makes it a transformer, right? So, like, even if those were thrown away a recycler would recycle the shit inside it because it's recyclable right where a digital one first off why you can't even look in them they they're so compacted with the circuitry that they spray this foam in there like for the cooling 
So like, there's no like, well, let's open it up and see why it didn't work. No, the door stops, right? There's a bunch of equipment because I've done this a lot of years where like, I remember the, the, that to me, even just getting a couple crops in or a year was the only goal I had. But years started click off where I realized, and like I said, I do these weird travel trips and shit. And Murphy's Law is everything can work great for the five months you're sitting at home. Not a care in the world. Everything clicks on, off, everything's dialed. Next thing you know, you go out of town for a few days, and yep, that's the day that this happened, right? And yeah, like so longevity, right? But I like now, yeah, I know that you can buy more expensive pumps. You can buy better fans, right? They cost more money. Like there's things that are actually built to run 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, right? Equipment. The hydro store, Hawthorne, grow generation, the whole industry is like most growers would pay that extra premium price to get the piece of equipment that is built to last. Instead, we don't even have that option. They just sell us this bullshit chunk. That's all that's there. You want an oscillating fan? Oh, it's $69. It's this piece of shit that ain't going to fucking move there for more than two years before it's useless, right? Where I still have a fan. I It must cost me $120 20 years ago. But I, I it's an oscillating fan from Air King. But the only place you could order that and buy it was some brains. Air are good. No, air right. kings are good. They're solid. They're good stuff. You can, right. you 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 can't you tell me yeah. you can't get air king anymore at Grogen? They don't sell it. Oh hell no! They there's these whatever they look like Chinese products. They are Chinese products. The way they're boxed and labeled, whatever oh, the they air name kings are what you want. Yeah. They sell whatever it's called and what they got the whatever name. But that's what I've seen of the years is like it, you'd have to go out of your way to do what I'm talking about. If you just bought what's like being marketed to us, we're, you're just being sold shit that you're gonna, it's only gonna last so long, not that long, and you're gonna have to buy it again, right? The planned obsolescence of it is in effect where like I've always tried to take approach like, yeah, I gotta pay the extra to have something that's gonna be reliable and all that because those are the times when, when things, piece break you know breaks down that that's what puts you in yeah that's yeah. when you lose the whole fucking thing and you know what i mean and, and oh the stress and trying to get it back up and and not you know like same thing with like racing part of racing is you have to have backup parts right yeah, part of growing you, yeah if, if you have a bunch of fans that you're counting on you better have the extra one for the day that one of them doesn't come on you can just swap it out right and same with pumps, fans, all this shit. It's like, yeah, it's convenience. You're at the store, whatever. Yeah, all right, I'll buy that pump. I'll get this fan. And then I realized all this shit is just junk, right? Like, that that bugs me. Like, I actually think that if somebody set up a store and then, like, broke out of the Hawthorne model and, like, searched out and like supplied people with the, the good shit 
even though it would cost more money, you would have a viable business. Because like, if you're in this for the long haul, that's what you got to do. Because, yeah, years go by. Years go by. Years go by. Speaking of the long haul, bud, let me interrupt you briefly because, uh, uh, honestly, I do have to cut this short a little bit. But we're going to be here a little bit later in the evening. But we did get an audience uh, request, basically, uh, from uh, a friend of mine that was actually asking an interesting question. I thought, oh, how interesting that... uh, yeah, like we didn't jump to that kind of conclusion. We didn't jump to that question first. We started asking you, oh, what happened to the dead and this and that? And oh, how fun were the drugs or whatever. But my friend was like, hey, uh, like when did your parents find out what happened to you? Uh, did they find out that you ran away to the dead? Uh, when was the first chance that you had a chance to, to talk to she them basically when you were off on uh, tour? Well, What's that? We should get that info tonight. Because actually, you know like what? That is a good hour. question to maybe start the, the, the show tonight. That is actually. It seems like, like, hey, it's one of my favorite topics. If you, people want to hear about my Grateful Dead experience, I have fucking tell a million stories. All right, like, we'll talk about the Grateful Dead and all that, that stuff tonight, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, We're going to put a pin in it for now, but it has been delightful. And just to make a point, I know like no one else is like excited, but wait, it's two forty-two. No, no, I want to hear it. I absolutely want to hear it. It's just I got to get some shit done today. It was just 242 and 42 seconds, too. Yeah. Okay, the dead are hitting the stage like in an hour and a half at City Field in New York, and it's going to be a rip-roaring show. Like, there's never been a dull New York show, right, in in Code Bud. Yeah, like, <laughs> Captain knows what I'm talking about. So, like, a Code yeah, Bud? <laughs> I, got, I got a full system in my my big screen and i fucking stream it it yeah i'll be rocking from like 4 to 7 38 like uh i can already predict what they're gonna play because you know something else i live by like that's why if you follow my instagram like some people are like why does this guy post like every fucking set list to every show the night like minutes after the set list so if you're dead like me even though those are just these songs in an order, makes no sense to you if you're not a deadhead. You have no idea what I'm even going to talk about, okay? Just like, what do you call it in the Bible, right? There's like the scripture of the day and shit. The set list is like, that's where we are. That's where we are, okay? And it like, like it, it, it's a, it's a, like, yeah, it matches where we are. It's a reflection of like where everyone, when I say we, that means the band and the heads, us, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all one, you know, and it's important. It's like super important. Like I live my life by that. Like that, that's what tells me what's coming, what's happening, what, what's next. What happened is the set list, okay? What do you think? What the fuck is he talking about? But Oh, talk to some other deadheads and then explain the same shit. Oh, yeah, that, that matters. Like the set list matters. You'll have to explain that more to us tonight, but because I feel that is the language of the deadheads. Yeah. Boys and well, girls, hey, I, let's I call made it. it. Even one of my pet projects, let's see, I took Edgar Masonic to his first dead hey, show bad, into bad. a deadhead. Uh, I'm always into turning people into deadheads. So, you know, I'm I'm like a recruiter. I'm like a Jehovah Witness for deadheads. It's never too late. You can join up anytime. I know Jerry's gone 30 years now, but we're still doing it. All right, we'll sign off now.
what, what are we doing? 8 30? Yeah, let's call 8 30. Let's do that. that. That sounds good. All right. Go. I'll see you guys at 8 30. I'm going to jump off first. Amen. Um, Later. Have a good one, guys. Later. Cheers, Peace, guys. Captain, go for it. Thanks for having me on, Fumi. But it's great always listening to you. Good seeing you, D. Everybody out in chat. See you a little bit later on tonight for part two of Bud. That's it. Cheers, buddy. Peace. Uh, or choose Captain, rather. Uh, go for it. Uh, well, Bud Kilowatt, go for it. Guest of the show. Go for it. Bud. Yeah, I guess I had fun. I, I, I somehow this since last night to now triggered me being like ramble on rose so <laughs> I, I hope that people enjoyed some of it, seem to enjoy I, it. I, I, I know I, I have my weird opinions and shit i don't expect anyone to think what i think that's one thing but uh, i'm not afraid to say what i think there you go that's the way because be. even what i i back to the beginning of the show when you were given the disclaimer i like there's things you were saying where i was like questioning like wait is our free speech which is our fucking right as american being fucking limited by instagram and youtube because like wait it's technically not because they're private spaces but uh uh, it's always an argument basically because the whatever it's not worth going into but uh anyway yeah well then that in someone's private house they can tell you if they don't like what you say yeah i guess yeah okay all right so but it does feel like that a little do you know what i mean because i guess it is their space but isn't it they try to present it as public space Mm mm-hmm like what no, is and it? they're is it... de facto they are a de facto public space that's one of the problems with monopolies that they become the de facto public space and everything else there's no exceptions and stuff so yeah can you do yeah and now i get it though because decode. some of the things that you're mentioning disclaimers for well yeah that should be against that there shouldn't be free speech to be able to talk people into doing bad things so like that should be against the thing it's a Free speech is a what do you call it? A double-edged sword. It's hard to, you know. But I I I I think in the last so many years, 10 years, the last decade of our existence here in the United States, we've given up a lot of our free speech without even realizing it. Yeah, <coughs> probably true. You know, I go bits of it are being more- taken. This and more we will discuss tonight. Yeah, see, have fun, everyone. I actually, I still, I got to get going and get back home before poor Ted when they start playing. See? And it's get twenty miles into town and twenty miles back. Well, so get the, I, I can hear the car, the tire, the tire <laughs> screeching already. Cheers, bud. You, you will hear him screeching. Yeah. <laughs> Later. All right, bye. Uh, D, go for it, buddy. Well, what a great show that was. Um, thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you for the people in chat that are chatting, the people that are watching that aren't chatting, that are just watching the show. Thank you, for, as always, for putting this show Cheers. on. Welcome. Thanks to Bud Chilliwatt, and don't forget, folks, tune in later, 8 o'clock, I believe it was, for part two. Uh, 8.30, actually. Tuesday. And yeah. then also check me out Saturday. Yeah, Brains. Nice. Takeover show. 11 o'clock Eastern, 8 Pacific. Cheers. Have a good week, everybody. Later, See you Saturday. Thank you very much. Cheers, my friend. So, ladies and germs, you heard it here first. Uh, if you cannot make it to tonight's show for some reason, uh, join uh, D actually on Saturday. I probably won't be here, so it will be a takeover show. Thank you very much to D for doing those takeover shows because I think people appreciate them. 
in the meantime ladies and germs uh thank you very much for tuning in uh, i think i uh, hope some of you folks uh, enjoyed the show there's pip jam right there hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed the show i enjoyed the show it's kind of an interesting why does the sound sound so weird maybe it's just too low anyway there that actually sounds better all right it was just too quiet in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks very much for hanging and thanks very much for listening to the show. Uh, if you can join us tonight, I guess we will actually, now that I think about it, be on the bigger channel. So I guess uh, hopefully more people even uh, see it. So we'll be back on Fumidor and the Flavors later tonight, ladies and gentlemen, not, not just on this smaller channel or not on this smaller channel, right? Rather, I can't even talk anymore. All right. This, this is a good opportunity to end the show because it's like, ladies and germs that's not good uh voice radio speak see i can't even talk anymore uh we'll be on fumador the flavors later tonight my friends at 8 30 p.m an unusual time uh by the way the poll i'm sorry i ended it so long ago that it is now there it is the poll ended or i ended the poll rather and the results were as follows only 3% of you didn't want any more shows, so I salute you. Uh, Wednesdays, uh, what is this? I don't even remember what I was typing there. Nah, Wednesday. Oh, I was making an Adam Sandler joke. All right, there we go. I hope, I don't think, I don't think anyone else got that joke either. <laughs> if, if I couldn't get my own joke, I bet you no one else got that joke either. Okay, so I said, nah, Wednesday and conditioner is better but i ran out of yes yeah, i ran out of like slots which is really bizarre because actually the the winning one has whatever your mama ran out of slots as well uh second place was another day is better and actually the winner by overwhelming freaking odds out of i don't remember how many votes uh, 28 votes so probably honestly like 22 of you or something said heck yeah we can call it weed friends for i should have said the beginning of the part do you want a thursday show basically so ladies and gentlemen we might experiment with a thursday show not today exactly thank you d uh not today we'll be doing today tonight's show just as usual but maybe next week we'll do uh, a thursday show i don't think we're gonna do i don't know i guess we could theoretically do a show tomorrow but i don't really feel like doing multiple shows this week so maybe next week we'll experiment with doing a thursday show and maybe we'll do the high noon on wednesday and then maybe a thursday show we'll figure it out ladies and gentlemen maybe twice a month. We'll figure it out how we would like to do it, uh, folks. So in the meantime, folks, uh, go take a look at my website. If you haven't uh, before, fumidoro.com, of course. If you have uh, taken a look before, please go take a look again. Uh, there's going to be some new stuff uh, coming soon, probably actually a couple tester lines. So get your tester fingers ready or whatever. I think I'm going to basically create a tester program and I have some ideas for that. I'm going to try to do it a little bit differently, first of all, than I have in the past because uh, uh, oh, we're not going to get into some of the dumpster fires or some of the testers back then. Some testers were excellent. I'd love those testers to come back, but some of the testers were not. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I don't like the idea of charging testers, really. I don't like the idea of charging people. I've heard everything from 10 to 50 bucks. 50 bucks is a pack of seeds. I don't know why you would be testing a $50 pack of seeds. But even $10 just seems weird to me. Uh, I understand the idea because it puts some skin in the game and everything else. So I have a couple of ideas. We'll see. We'll get to it in the future. We did not have time to get, give away any of the tickets to the Michigan thing. Honestly, I feel kind of weird about it because I haven't actually like seen the tickets. I don't know if it's for the whole weekend or for a day. I should probably ask Fang. We should probably have him on next week, which is kind of weird timing. I mean, honestly, I doubt anyone's going to fly across the country people don't usually do that kind of stuff except for weirdos like me i'm thinking about flying across the country to go see that show but in the meantime uh, most of you guys are probably going to be within a couple of states so i think it's probably not that big of a deal to give some uh, tickets out in the next couple of weeks so we'll figure that out my friends uh maybe even 
later tonight. I don't know if I clarified or something. But in the meantime, like I said, uh, use the coupon code BRAINS. How does that pronounce, D? Brains. There we go. Just in case you were curious, ladies and gentlemen. Granted, it is verbal, like it is actually typed. But you, I, it would be funny if I had a like an announcement thing that you have to like pronounce it correctly. That's technology that I think my website does not have. But that would be really funny, like, a, a verbal password or something. You must say the word, and it just says brains to enter a website. That would be pretty cool. That would be really pretty chill. Until we get that going, ladies and gentlemen, uh, buy more packs of seeds so that we have a bigger robot budget or something. I don't even know. Maybe that's the that's what we should do. Buy some seeds so that I have a larger robot budget because right now my robot budget is basically zero. Meantime, be kind, be decent, be gentle, my friends. Don't be fucking dicks, pricks, or lunatics. And uh, we'll see each other this evening, hopefully, ladies and gentlemen. If not, we'll see D and the rest of you guys on Saturday. Uh, thanks for hanging, my friends. Uh, cats and dogs, bats and frogs. <laughs>